Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL tour. And the NRL Telstra Premiership for 2016 has concluded. Your winners, the Cronulla Sharks, after 50 years, a long, long wait. But history again, Brock, in another grand final since we've done this podcast. Yeah, we're uh, setting a bit of a trend, aren't we? So we've, we finished up Mad Monday, our little fifth and last Mad Monday. There were no incidents, no police called. So, but we're here. We are Wednesday. here. Bit of a grand final hangover for, for you, buddy. Yeah. It was a tough one to cop, but uh, look, I thought, watching the game over again last night, I thought most things that we said happened, and there wasn't really much in there that I didn't expect, or not that I didn't expect, but not much that we didn't throw up in the preview podcast. I think we did a pretty good job this year. Yeah, oh, I thought it was an outstanding grand final, regardless, um, as we've done the whole way a lot, we've said the whole time, we don't like to be biased. I thought Melbourne would eke out a close win. They did ridiculously well to get back in the position they did, I, I think, and try and control that game. But we'll talk about that a little bit more soon. But just to give you all a rundown, uh, usually what we do is a couple of separate shows, but it's a bit of a pain in the ass just for time. So this year we're going to do everything all at once. We're going to review the grand final, have a quick chat, about the, the lower games as well, obviously the 20s and the, the State Cup, but that won't take a whole lot. Uh, quick fast five about grand final day. Then our awards, the fifths, we usually do them as a show. Uh, that'll be just done today as well. So we'll punch through those awards and both name our, our own team of the year. And then we'll do our season reviews for each club, going from last place to first place in the top eight, um, as we do every year, is in the order they finished up the season. So if they were eliminated... Um, but finished in the top four, etc. It'll be the place they're eliminated. So we'll kick things off with a fast five about grand final day. Um, the highlight for me was the quality of the grand final. I thought last year would be hard to top, but I thought that was an absolutely outstanding game. And the finish, as much as it hurt me, it was awesome. Everybody jumped out of their chairs, the Sharks fans, and there wasn't obviously many Melbourne fans, but everyone's heart was in their mouth that moment. Uh, was a killer, but also elation for some other people. Yeah, I agreed. The, look, the Sharks breaking their hoodoo. Uh, I had a special feel about it the other night. There were there was probably 90% um, Sharks fans. You know, nine, 9 out of 10 were Sharks fans. Um, and just, yeah, same as you, mate. I thought we were treated to a sensational game. Um, it ebbed and flowed, and for the majority of it, I didn't know who was going to win right up until the end. I, you know, it looked like Cronulla the whole way along, but Melbourne just hung in and hung in and hung in. Um, but yeah, it was a sensational game. It was very different last year. Last year was more open and flowing and attacking, but this year was a little bit different. I love that arm wrestle, though. It was great. It was great. It was very, very absorbing. It was hard not to just buy into it. It just it proves that um, 
you don't have to just jump on the style that wins a comp every year. You know, like if everyone just copied how Brisbane and the Cowboys played last year, we wouldn't have had these two teams in the finals. So they all bring their own different style to the table. Uh, it just proves you've got a coach to the roster you've got. Yeah. Uh, low light, I think this one's quite easy. State Cup was awful. Um, obviously, we tipped Burley going off the Queensland Cup and obviously decide, but I had a few mates, we recorded this on the Monday last week, who let me know that they'd been on a bender up until Thursday. So yeah. they weren't really in the best uh, frame they, of mind. They played like it, that's, and that's ridiculous. I mean, whoever allowed that to happen um, is a moron. I mean, we've played, we've won park football competitions and had a game the next weekend and managed to keep our players off the drink. What I don't get, though... Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. It's unprofessional. I, I get that you're elated to win your own comp, but the fact that they've introduced this concept to let you play on actual grand final day and you couldn't control yourself just for seven more days to turn up and be in the best possible shape, like the Cutters obviously did. Yeah. They had the one night on the Sunday and then were straight back uh, into preparation to play mm-hmm. and it showed in the performance. But, yeah, that game was a stinker. It's um, also... A good platform for you to get picked up by another club. Well, look at Ipswich last year. I think six players ended up with NRL clubs. Not all of them ended up playing in the NRL, but it's a great opportunity. Absolutely. Mine was a con- the concussion farce. I thought it went out the window on yeah, Sunday night. It was four or five players. There was at least two from each team who copped clear head knocks, stayed down, were groggy, that didn't go off for concussion tests. I mean, on the biggest stage, and this is a, this is a test for me for the, the rules, are you going to apply them on the biggest stage? And they didn't. You know, I think um, in the end, Fanukin they got Fanukin off the field, but he refused to at one point there. Kenny Bromwich, um, yeah, Kenny Bromwich, Chad Townsend, Luke Lewis, Luke Lewis, Chad Townsend, and that's not that's not uh, pointing the finger at either team. I think it's the NRL's job to make sure that's enforced. Um, they've got the the team on the sideline there, look, reviewing every incident with potential mm. head knocks, and what should happen is the game should just stop until the player's off the field. Like, if you refuse to go off, well, sorry, mate, tools down, hands on heads, you got to go off. Well, they do that in the NFL, don't they? They send that re- our independent bloke out who sends a trainer and they tell them, we've spotted this, you have to come off and have yep. the, the concussion test. But, yeah, there was at least two from each side. Uh, you, the best on the day, I had one from each game. It was pretty easy to pick. Nat Butchell was actually outstanding in the 20s game. Uh, Shannon Wakeman, again, I thought was really, really good for the cutters. He was awesome in the grand final. He was awesome again in the grand final. It'd have to be for feeder, mm. despite the fact we know why he didn't win the Clive Churchill medal. He was exceptional. Yeah, I'd agree. Nat Butcher was great. Wakeman was great. Wakeman was good the week before as well. I know you've been banging that drum for a while. How he didn't get a game at all for the Dragons this well, year they is... they got a terrible forward pack, and regardless of whether you think he's going to be a 100-game NRL player, how bad some of their forwards have been, especially their props. Give him a crack. Give him a run. Mm. He's been there forever. He churns out big minutes. He's got an offload. He's got like the old kind of Merrin build. Yeah. Where he breaks tackles, and you know, I just don't understand it. I thought Fafita was best on ground. He had nine tackle breaks. He scored the match-winning try. He had a line break, a line break assist. No errors, no penalties uh, conceded. No missed tackles. Yeah. Most runs on the field, and with twenty-three, and most running meters with two hundred and one. Mm. If he's not the Clive Churchill medalist, then I'm a bad judge. Yeah, it's just and. I don't. This is where I think we get our wires crossed a little bit. The award isn't for what he's done off the field. No, I get that he's a he's whatever he is. Like, I'm not his greatest fan, and I'd be the first to hammer him. And I think what he's done in support of um, the Loveridge uh, is disgraceful. Mm. The murderer, like the support for the murderer, and uh, it's horrendous, and it's been a bad look. But I blame the NRL. The NRL's had this information. 
for at least six weeks since this all blew up prior to the finals. It's like they just didn't want to deal with it during the finals because they didn't want a big uproar if they stood him out, stood him, uh, stood him down. Yeah. The Sharks have had this information. Everyone sat on their hands, and they knew that if he ran out on grand final day, he was he was a chance of winning the Clive Churchill medal. Oh, most, and he should have won the Clive Churchill medal because he was the best player on the field. Most destructive prop on his day in the competition. But the, my point is is that if if he's not eligible to win the award on field, he shouldn't be on the field at all. Yeah. You shouldn't have allowed him to play if and you're not going to give him that award. Now you scrap him from the Australian side and it's a bit of a... And say that it's because of off-field behaviour, but yet he's okay to play in the NRL Grand Final and have no punishment. Yeah. Like, is this his punishment? Are they going to announce a punishment? What's yeah, what's well, the story? Well, that's still the integrity unit, isn't it, from all it's I ridiculous. understand. They, the NRL gambled. The NRL gambled that he wouldn't be he wouldn't win the Clive Churchill medal. And they, they, they lost. Mm. And they look stupid for it. Yeah, they definitely lost. There's no doubt about that. Um, worst, well, I thought the Bears in general, just they were terrible. But Cronk, if I was going to go off the big game, he was he was awful. He was shut out of the game. Yeah, fifth tackle options were pretty poor, I thought, from him and Green. But Cronk in particular, um, I really didn't expect him to dish out a performance like that on Grand Final Day. He was, he was awful. Yeah, I had the six and seven yeah. from Melbourne, the kicking game, organisation. I thought composure in big moments, say... They weren't good. Weren't good. They come up with some good plays, but majority in key moments they fluffed it. Yeah. So and that, you know if they both play well, I th- don't get me wrong. The Sharks did a great job pressuring Cronk. They're offside a few on a few occasions. Uh, and, both sides are offside. Yeah. I heard, we heard plenty of whinging around this. No offense to Sharks fans out there, but obviously when it's ninety ten in the crowd, you're all going to cheer for your team or Barrett with the support around you. But the it was a short ten, and both of them were it was being, short for both sides. They're yeah. both being walked onside by the referee, basically. Yeah. So that went both ways. So that's that, that'd be the only criticism I had of the referees mm. is that they. Just allowed it I'm just to become. Glad they a little stayed bit. out of it though. There was no glaring decision mm. for me. I, that... I thought they could have set a standard with a better ten early, but mm. once once they let it slide, then they're not going to do it with ten to go. Yeah. You know, in the second half, so um, that that sort of frustrated me a little bit. But yeah, it wasn't definitely wasn't one way or the other. It went for both sides. They were both offside. Yeah. Uh, do you have any questions for the end of this yeah, year? Yeah, just which team you think is more likely to get back there next year, get back to the grand final? Well, I looked at both sides today. Obviously, doing the reviews, and they basically both lose nobody. Um, on Melbourne side of things, Corabidi, you wouldn't usually say a wing is a big loss, but he's a massive loss for them. But other than that... Well, they uh, lose Green. Green's gone as well, but the potential to pick up Billy Slater if he stays healthy and have Munster, I think that's massive. Yeah. <laughs> on the other side of things, the Sharks, again, uh, Michael Ennis is a massive loss as well. Probably, I think, a bigger loss than what Green would be for Melbourne because mm. I think we can <clears> plug that hole, but... Their buyers have been quite smart. You get Cherrington, who was touted as a, a next Kiwi hooker, who basically got blocked out just by piss poor management by the Tigers this year. And then they've got the junior hooker of the year, the player of the year from the NYC and Braley. So they've basically got two of the best nines from the last couple of years out of the 20 system. And Farmanu Brown, for anyone there, I give him raps all the time as a six. He was originally a nine, and I thought he was close to the best nine a couple of years ago. Okay. So they've got plenty of options, and they're going to bring Innes back to work with their hookers. Look, for me... I'd probably say Melbourne, um, but again, that's going to sound biased. But I think, honestly, this is Melbourne's last tilt before that team starts to get pulled apart. Mm, I'd say... I don't know. I, I just think, looking at it, the bigger hole to fill is Michael Ennis. That's, that's the one for yeah. me as well. I, I think they've got great options, like I said, and him going there to help out. You couldn't have three better young blokes. But, but just because you're going there to help out doesn't mean... And nah. look, I look at Braley, I look at Cherrington, uh, and I think, nah, they're not going to be ready to push the side around and be as physical and well, the, dominant as do what you, Ennis was this year. Can they 
get double-figure try assists? Can they be so influential? Can they pester the kicker and lead no. that line speed? It's going to put more pressure on Barber, more Townsend, influence, That influence you bring up is the big thing they lose. They may be good in their own right in certain aspects, but he yeah. is just an overall spiritual well, leader for that side. Yeah, just the stuff he provides off the field. Look, I think history tells you that teams don't go back-to-back, and teams struggle to make the grand final to even get a tilt to go back-to-back. So... With that history in mind, I'd say I'd say Melbourne. I'd lean Melbourne, but I think it's going to be tough for both teams to get back because they're both losing a a key player, a key position player. Like I think Melbourne, Graham. obviously, if you get Slater back and he plays the whole year, that's a massive in for them. That's that's be- that's bigger than pick- than losing Green. So I think that sort of covers it. Whereas Sharks were sort of questioning who's going to play nine. Well, I, I look at both, and I'll throw it out there right now. I think they're both top four material again. Yeah, I, I agree. All around, I forward agree. pack, uh, back lines, bench impact. Yeah, there's like a key spot there to cover up, but I still think there's enough there on both sides to be top four. Yeah. Um, whether they do it in the finals, you have to see how they play next year. But my only question was that, do you, would you agree that next year is Melbourne's last tilt? I think with salary cap, hold, they barely held on to Solomona. He took low money to stay. They've got a couple of these guys that are on contracts who are starting to get offers. Um, they've built it nicely internally, but you get to a point where it's going to have to come apart. And if Slater doesn't see up the season and those other two blokes, they're obviously getting a bit older. I really think next year is the final chance they're going to have to win I, a comp. I think the next two. They're going to win one of the next two. Yeah, I'm but pretty, outside of that, like I, I see your point with one. Um, I'm really big on next year. I think that's it because, like I said, you're getting off well, the coming because in from you know that outside's good enough and... Yeah. They're, they're really not going to lose a lot. Well, I get where you're coming from. Proctor is getting an offer right now from the Titans. Melbourne don't have to let him go, though. It's yeah. being offered. McLean took unders to stay again instead of going to the Cowboys. All these guys are going to get paid at some point, yeah. and you can't keep them all. Corabidi obviously left in that circumstance. Vunavalu is going to have to see a payday. The big three, if Billy left, there'd be money to give to a couple other blokes, but glaringly overall, those three getting older and just holding on to all those guys they've built internally, plus Chambers, you can't maintain it. Mm. It's going to get to a head next year where two or three of those guys, and Solomon again, he's only signed for 12 months. People are going to come off contract. It's going to be hard to replace four or five players all at once. Yeah. So I, I think uh, their tilt may be next year, and that's it for them. Um, that's my only question. But quickly reviewing the 20s and the State Cup. 20s, 28-6 at half time. You can't believe that the Panthers lost that game. Absolutely ridiculous. No, Oh, yeah, I'm lost for words on it. I, I don't know. Well, I'm oh, going to be pretty blunt about it. Number one, the half-time, walking out, high-fiving the score, dipping in Yahoo, and I think they basically thought they had it in the bag. Yeah. Um, and if you watch both halves, 20 footballs loose. The Roosters had as many opportunities as they did in the first half. They just didn't stick. That's generally how the 20s works. If your opportunities and your passes yeah. stick, I thought they busted through a few times and just blew some chances. But I thought Penner for one try off just putting the game out of reach, they bombed two straight off the bat pen. If they dropped it over the line and then dropped a kick, mm. that sh- it should have been 12-0. And were, I think the Roosters ended up scoring first. But, yeah, Penrith bombed and, you know, a mountain of chances in the first half. In the first half, I was watching the game. I thought, I didn't think the Roosters believed they could win. But I think pe- the way that Penrith came out in that second half made the Roosters believe that they were a chance of winning. They, they just... I... Penrith just... They showed really no... no great respect for the Roosters. I thought their kicking game wasn't really great. Most kicks landed on the 20 or on the 30. They, had, they seemed intent just to bomb um, and then catch and tackle the Roosters. I didn't sort of get that. Uh, at the end of the game there where they took the penalty goal, then they didn't kick it dead. Like, if you take the penalty goal there, it's got to be right away. Well, I, that's what I'm saying. I would have tapped and gone. No doubt about it. 
then five minutes later they get another shot from 35 out and they don't take the two, whereas it was probably a simpler kick. Oh, I don't know. I thought I thought their interchanges were strange. Well, that was um, my big Oliver one. Clark and oh, sorry, not Oliver Clark, Cohen Epri and Sony Luke um, were left on the bench for a period. And you carried an extra half back. Yeah, right? I didn't get it. I I, I don't know. I, a, I thought it was just bombed from all, all the way down. Yeah, playing group uh, on the field second half, not completing sets, not getting out of your own half. Poor fifth tackle options, poor attitude. Interchange with the big one though. He made. A change just before half time for a front row of five minutes out, which is a burn, and then he burned another one five minutes into the second half. That's two changes for two props. You can't yeah, be doing that. You can't carry a player on your bench that can only play for 15, 20 minutes. No. I don't believe And then I don't believe you can carry multiple like half hookers as well. He had Dean on the bench, he had Sony Luke start and then pulled him off. He was probably guiding things better than anyone else. Sony Luke should play 80. So there was a few uh, decisions there I thought were quite strange and Full credit to the Roosters. I think they deserved it. Manu Butcher, the back row. I think it's Ryland, or I can't think of his name. He was playing six for him a few weeks ago, the number 12. The 12, he was good. He was very, very good. And overall, they just ripped in. So full credit to them. They've come the hard way. They had elimination games every week. Yeah. And they knocked off some quality sides on the way. And good signs there with uh, Garvey and a couple of young blokes there pushing up for the Roosters. But State Cup, I'm not really even going to touch this game. 54-12. Cutters, full credit to them. Wakeman. Hutchison, Quinlan, Tan Mill, everybody was outstanding. They just blew them off the park. In particular, the right edge, they ran out the left side. I think it was uh, Wucker and Semi. They had trouble shutting things down on that left edge. They pushed off loads and played some great football and just absolutely annihilated them. Yeah, it was disgraceful. Yeah, and Cullen and Fogarty, a couple of these blokes that are going to NRL clubs next year, not the best way to leave an impression on the club you're heading to. I think that's probably put that game in jeopardy, to be fair. That, that's right, man. That was awful. Mm. It's been such a good game the last two years. It's been one of the better uh, better games on grand final day. But I think that was awful. I'm not too sure what they do. I, I don't know. I don't think the Queensland Rugby League is going to be all for bringing the Queensland Cup final to grand final day. I'd be happy with them just to play Queensland Cup, New South Wales Cup, 20s and first grade, have four games on grand final day, if, if that's going to make those grand finals more relevant. But otherwise, obviously, they're going to have... You know they're going to kick up a stink and want the Queensland Cup up in Queensland, which I get. But I mean, really, if you want legitimate grand finals, that's sort of a Super Bowl, and I guess that's a risk in it. We've we've gone through that ourselves when they had the Battle of the West. Mm. You know, you win your comp; it's it's a much bigger thing to win your own individual comp before you sort of go to that Battle of the West game, but where at, at their the level, players sort of don't take it. I get, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. at their level, I, like I watched the Cutters were stoked, but they know you get to go play on grand final day. That's mm. that's the dream. Like, you won the grand final at Parramatta Stadium for the New South Wales Cup. That's great. But all those guys are striving to play in the NRL. Yeah. So the fact they give you an opportunity, and the trophy's awesome as well. I love that trophy. Yeah. They're giving you an opportunity to sell yourself basically to 16 clubs on a massive stage in front of a big crowd, ANZ, on actual grand final day. I don't know how you couldn't get up for it. The last two years, bravo. Both games were brilliant. Mm. I thought they were both outstanding, but Burley really dropped the ball this year. Look, if that happens again next year, that game will be home. Uh, there's been talk of a proposal to have like a combined league of Queensland Cup, New South Wales Cup players like a midweek comp. I don't quite know. Why don't they just finish the comp earlier, maybe? Or maybe the top four from each playoff in a final series for that. I don't know how you really do it. It's mm. difficult. I like um, it as and, and they run as individual comps, like you say, that Queensland, New South Wales Rugby League controls one, Queensland Rugby League controls the other. It's not run by the NRL. No. The only the only control the NRL have is over obviously that game, mm. but they would have been disappointed with that. And maybe maybe they shift that to the first game of the day and play twenty second. 
Well, you know what you're going to get from the 20s. Yeah, no no one's going on a bender winning a final, are they? No. So I understand that most of those guys are NRL contracted, as are some 20s players, but yeah. um, they kind of give them that middle time slot. If I was at home viewing that on TV, I probably would walk away or change channels for that game. Well, we walked away. So, we walked away at half time. So. Bit, uh, bit disappointing, but moving on to the big one, we'll give this one the credit it deserves. The NRL Grand Final 14 12, the Cronulla Sharks over the Melbourne Storm. You've had a, a second look at it, I have as well, but uh, probably the biggest thing for me, we'll talk about the first half. It was all of the Sharks, really 60 40 possession. They got repeat sets, which Melbourne couldn't get. Um, there was a point there just before half time where they had four or five sets on the line, and Melbourne kept turning them away, but. Just really felt like Melbourne couldn't establish themselves at all or get inside the Sharks' half. And mm. um, I thought the Sharks were outstanding as far as strangling. But at the same time, a lot of people were saying Melbourne being overwhelmed. I thought the complete opposite. If anything, if they were overwhelmed and it was most other teams, if that was Canberra or somebody, they're down four tries, I reckon. Um, oh, I, Melbourne's yeah. goal line defence, the fact they went in at 8-0, I was saying to you, I was absolutely stoked. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, we were sort of saying in that last 10 minutes at the ground that Melbourne needed to hang on. If they went in at 8-0, it's almost a win for them because, yeah. I, you know, usually possession turns around. But, look, we mentioned on last week's podcast, Sharks needed to start fast, and they did. They, they got that try, they got the penalty goal, they went up 8-0. They needed to dominate possession. The number I gave out last week was 55%. At the end of the game, it was 56-44. Yeah, they got so the split. So they, they got the split. Um, Maloney needed to run the ball. He did. He made a couple of line breaks. He was sensational. Uh, the Sharks forwards, they needed to hold their own in the middle. I thought, I thought they won the, the, start, the start of the game in particular, they definitely dominated Melbourne in the middle. And then you looked, you looked at the things we spoke about. The Storm, they struggled to chase points. Yeah. Um, you know, the Sharks then got that momentum. They were pressuring Cronk and Green into a heap of poor kicks. Even Smith put up a midfield bomb. Well, Smith had last... to take a couple of kicks from half, which he never usually has to do. But yeah. there was just such poor set organisation where Cronk, Got shut down, probably doing the right thing, not making a dumb play. He died with the football, but it forced Smith to probably kick two or three times on last tackle as yeah. a half. Um, Fafita gave Green a bath. Uh, he oh, four missed tackles for 100%. Blake Green on Fafita. Uh, Cameron Smith, 73 tackles, 27 more than anyone else on the field. And he ran too. Uh, unbelievable. And that was Tohu Harris who made um, 27 less, obviously. The Storm did very well. I, I thought I needed to be behind by eight. They made 64 more tackles in the first half, so that's basically 10 full sets of six more than the Sharks. Two mentions I have to give there. As bad as I thought Blake Green was, massive play stopping Luke Lewis. That was a cracker. Oh. But dead set, Tohu Harris killed me on that scrum miss. Not only was he lazy breaking from the scrum, but he basically didn't even hang an arm out for Barber to go through that gap. I thought it was also poor by Cronk. Like, Cronk's got to protect the inside there. Yeah. Well, he broke probably a I little just, too it was hard. Mis- and... mismanagement from... It was obviously good coaching. Like I've got it oh, written down here. The Sharks tries. You've got Barber off the scrum play, which was great coaching. It was well executed. Then you've got Fafita's individual effort. Yeah. You know, so you've got two little chinks in the Storm's armour that Cronulla have been able to pick up. Like the Fafita one, if Andrew Fafita could make that run ten times, and I think he only scores once. And he did. Luckily for the Sharks, it was on grand final day with you know ten to go. Like unbelievable. Then obviously they got the, the penalty goal. Well, the penalties were pretty split. I think it was 5-3. Yeah, yeah, it was 5-3 to the Sharks, but the Storm gave away sort of two in a row there in that period where that cost them the two. Otherwise, it was basically three all. And a lot of them weren't subjective penalties. They were head highs or... Yeah, oh, there was two or three they both got in the ruck, I think. Yeah, it was hand basically on the ball. Hand or, on the ball. Yeah, I thought the, the one that led Melbourne down, uh, Melbourne, uh, sorry, the Sharks down to score that try... 
prior to Welsh giving away the head-high tackle, the one that was on halfway, I think Finucane got caught in the ruck or Chase Blair got caught in the ruck. I thought that was a really harsh penalty, but, you know, Melbourne shouldn't have been laying in the ruck. Like, it was lazy. They just scored a try to go ahead, and then they no. piggybacked him down the field. So and Welch's was worse because we'd absorbed, I think, two or three repeat sets after that penalty. And it was the last tackle. And it's going to break you back at some point. You can't keep holding. Like, when you're filling the dam up with water, the wall's going to break down. And yeah. he just gave that two or three repeat sets, fourth tackle, and we broke. We finally yeah. broke. And in the worst way, I hate to see a front row crash over, but if it's going to be anyone... It was an absolute man mountain with five players around him. Um, but I thought it was just a high quality game. There was they each side game. made only six errors each. They were both over eighty percent in completions. Sharks, obviously, as we just said, they won the penalty count. I thought the referees are going to give them a wrap. They were outstanding, out apart from obviously the short ten metres which we spoke about. But that was consistent for both sides. I so thought was the bunker. The for both sides. Yeah, the bunker stayed out of it. Um, obviously, they dealt with the. They dealt with the issues that they had to deal with. But for Melbourne to be in that at the end, and I said it to you, with 15 to go, if there's one side I want to be on with the lead in the grand final, it's the number one defence and the Melbourne Storm. And, you know, Cronulla, they, they had to come up with something. They, their medal was tested, and, man, they produced. Like, that's yeah. one of the great grand finals. I think I've been to – that's my 17th in a row – and I think the last two have been the best two I've been to. Yeah, and there was a couple of moments near the end there. Melbourne got a scramble where Will Chambers could have thrown back inside to Cronk. I tell you what, people are saying he should have nah, passed it. I watched it last night, if, and if, he didn't. He had the ball in one hand. He didn't have the ball. Never got the ball in two hands yeah, to pass it. Even with that, you know how loud it was, like me, when he got that ball. And he wasn't if, looking there. If he was calling his name, he wouldn't have heard him anyway. No. It was ridiculously loud. And could he have executed a pass one-handed? It could have gone forward. Not it could have got knocked meters. down. It could have gone over Cronk's head and turned it over. Over and then we'd be saying, well, why did he pass it? They got a whole set, or you know, they had a couple more tackles to go. So yeah, well, the other moment for me that killed us, our last opportunity, not the last scramble, but we got a repeat set with about five to go. Blake Green let two dropouts bounce instead of taking them on the forty. Mm. Both roll back into our own half, and we had to work it out. So and then they dropped the ball on that set. I think it was Bright, second tackle. Or, I think yeah. McLean spilled the football, McLean, but yeah. yeah, Blake Green, terrible night. They picked on him. We had to reshuffle him defence. He got burnt. He always seems to turn out. And almost get burned for speed but those two dropouts you know for all for that try saver which was an awesome moment there was a lot of little things he did that let us down on the night but that last scramble Cameron Smith threw that pass so I thought it was Bromwich yeah it was Smith's pass that went behind if he would have hit Hampton he, maybe they, they score I no, think he's I was got a good down last night if that hits Hampton on the chest he draws Fecky, they score in the corner. Yeah, because I was wondering. I didn't, I've, haven't, I've got a chance. Bromwich to Smith, Smith to Hampton. Hampton would have hit... Um, who's the left winger? Left winger. Um, is, oh, yeah. So... Well, in, in summary, I, the other thing that I loved when I thought about it and I look back on it, how many good players there were. Obviously, Fafita was the standout for the Sharks, but... I thought Michael Linnis was great. Pryor, Fafita, the back three, like Gallon was massive in his shorts. Like, there were so many good players on the field. There was no one that you could really look at, probably bar the Melbourne halves, <clears throat> and say they had a bad game. And then on the Melbourne side of things, I thought Vunivalu and Korobiti, Korobiti in particular, outstanding. Munster, why he didn't break out, was hammered and put under so much pressure. All the forwards. Chambers, 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 was, Chambers and Smith were our two best, but I thought there was just... Usually someone has a bad day or there's a couple of errors or something. I thought that whole game and just both sides in general was so good and it was just an absolutely outstanding game of football. But yeah, the glaring ones were obviously green, probably the little little plays that yeah. he got wrong. And then obviously Cron- the one at the end was Welch. Like that 
yeah. penalty was a brain snap. And, and what's sad about that is I'm, I, I've seen little bits of him. We don't give him a lot of time. But when he first got on the field, he got us rolling. He got two nice offloads with traffic with yeah. three blokes on. I'm, I was kind of thinking we'd only give him 10 minutes. He, he let him go a bit longer as you do a coach when things are going well. And then he kind of blew it with that moment. So mm-hmm. um, that hurts. But that last moment was outstanding. Um, it broke my heart. But if you're a Sharks fan... Anyone on the ground, you know, as soon as that ball started flying around and the 80 minutes hit, everybody was up. Yeah. Everybody was out of their chair screaming and yelling because it was just such pandemonium. Look, as like as a neutral, mm. obviously I wanted Melbourne to win for you because obviously we go together and we support each other when our teams are in there. But, well, usually it's me supporting you, <laughs> not, not you supporting me. But, um, look, the, the game was just... It was just a good game. Like it, Great game. You didn't walk away from that feeling bad about Melbourne. Or no. You just thought Cronulla had to produce, you know, one of their best performances of the season to win, and they did. They were outstanding. I thought the crowd the crowd were pretty good. They were wild. It was a um, good atmosphere. The game was well refereed. There wasn't a howler in it. It was just two sides going hammer and tong. Someone had to win. Someone had to lose. So yep. it was, yeah, great night. And there's no bias, like I said, ever on here. Uh, full congratulations to the Cronulla Sharks. Heartbreaking as a Storm fan, but... What about the way that the Storm dealt with... Like, I watched Smith's speech last night. Obviously, we left before the presentation to just to beat the traffic home. We do that most years. But look, the way he spoke at the end of the game was magnificent. I thought the way that Cronulla celebrated wasn't um, defamatory or disrespectful. No, there, was, good. there was good respect. I thought the sportsmanship displayed was fantastic. Um, yeah. The way that the players treat... Uh, Proven and Summons, I think that's great. I think the NRL's just got it right. Like, Grand Final Day feels right. There's that tradition there. They're building that that sort of culture uh, of of respecting the past, but also, obviously, moving with the future. So, I'm watching it back as well. I watched Keith Urban. He he was all right. Like, he got the place rocking a little bit. I don't don't particularly like his music, but... Nah, but I think everyone said the same. Who was the other bloke? He, f- he farted. He fluffed it. Yeah, Sambora. Um, yeah. He's, he's they from, probably would have paid more for Sambora, wouldn't He's they? from Bon Jovi or something. I don't even know. But he was pretty He was pretty horrendous. But I thought Keith Urban was all right. I'm not a big Keithy fan, but... Yeah, well, let's be honest. We'll, he was all right. We were punting when we that were. was going on. We don't usually watch it, but watching it last night, I thought, yeah, he's like got the place jumping. Well, he's, I've seen him on The Voice. He can sing and he can put a show on. It's just more whether you like his music. Because yeah. someone said exactly what I was thinking. He sold millions of albums, but you've probably never heard his song because he's not on the radio over here. Country so, country and Western in the USA is who buys him. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I thought he did a good job. Yeah. Good on you, Keithy. Good stuff, Keithy. But overall, um, I, like I said, I thought the 20s game, a bit disappointing because it was one half each. The state cut was an absolute flop, but it was all worth the wait for that grand final. Congratulations to the Storm and the Sharks, particularly Sharks. 50 years, the wait is over. We've got a fair few Sharkies fans who listen to the podcast who would be very, very happy with that result. Yeah, so, good on them. Good times. And, uh, I just thought uh, at the analysis, like I listened back to particularly our conversation with Paul Kent, mm-hmm. Like we nailed a lot of stuff out of, out of the game. And, um, yeah, I felt pretty good about right. how we previewed it. Uh, what ended up happening? So it was it was good. I tell you who was Kenny uh, was great on the on the pod. Yeah, last oh, week always outstanding to have him on. I tell you, it was really good. I listened to the preview for the Triple M one the other day. They had Glenn Lazarus on, and he nailed it. He basically said that Andrew Fafita can be the biggest pork chop on yeah. his day, and you bait him, and he give, drops a couple of balls and gives away a couple of errors. But if he just puts his head on for one game, we've said it a million times for Origin and all these other things, he goes, he can be the most destructive bloke and single-handedly win them this game. And after listening to him, I was almost laughing because it's the day after. Yeah, exactly. But his description was Bit cryptic. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, big Lazo, as we know, won five competitions, three at three different clubs for the first time, and basically said the words we all know front rowers uh, start everything off. They get the game going, they lead the momentum, they point in the right direction, and a front row got the Sharkies home. But that's our review of the 2016 NRL Grand Final. Now it's time for our award show. Instead of having all the hoo ha and bits and pieces and dragging it out like we usually do, it's a bit more punching it in this year. So we'll do the individual awards before we name our actual team. So the first award, Rep Player of the Year. Uh, this one, I thought, would have been between probably the two Queenslanders and Smith and Boyd. I didn't, obviously didn't see Origin 3, but I've gone with Cameron Smith for my Rep Player of the Year. Yeah, we're both on the same line. I think if uh, New South Wales win the series, though... Frizzell, which, maybe? Yeah, Jackson? I thought um, Tyson Frizzell and Josh Jackson, but... yeah, and I and You've Boyd, also got to take into account the... Um, the test match, which Smith was outstanding. Gallon got mid of the match, but um, so I think Smith got two Dalian points out of that. Yeah, well, there you oh, go. No, sorry, Dalian points weren't, because that was a rep weekend, yeah. Yeah, no, so rep player of the year. We've both gone the same. Cameron Smith, congratulations. That's our fifth award for him. Uh, most improved this season. Uh, this one for me, he's always been of rep standard, but he's finally realised his potential and absolutely exploded. Joey Leilua was my most improved player. That's fair. I went Matty Pryor. I thought he had a massive impact on uh, the Sharks. You look at his stats at the start of the year, probably for the first you know eight rounds, and they're horrendous. And he's just had a massive impact on the way the Sharks played and the reason why they went on that big run, big winning streak, and uh, obviously why they were um, grand final winners. He had a massive impact on the game on Sunday night. There you go. So our fifth award for the most improved this year, Lewis is gone, Joey Leilua, and Boxhead is on Matty Pryor. Rookie of the year, uh, there was plenty of good rookies this year, but the one we talked about him all year, realistically, no matter what your opinion of a couple of blokes obviously came on the scene late, it's got to be Ash Taylor. So he is my rookie of the year. Yep, me too. He uh, he had less to work with. Like Cleary is the, obviously the other standout, Lovalu. Yep. They're obviously they're playing in sides that are much more stacked than the Titans. Mm-hmm. What Ash Taylor did, especially with Kane Eldry going down, yeah, uh, he transformed our side. Or it was the difference between our side being a bottom four and a top eight side. So yeah, and uh, like you said, Nathan Cleary deserves a wrap. Uh, Cody Walker was the other one, a bit older, but I thought he was outstanding. Vunivalu, Latrell Mitchell. There, there was a couple of guys who burst out this year, but Rookie of the Year for our fifths, the award there, Ash Taylor from both of us here. Super sub. A bit harder this year. This one on Bargain Boy. Like I said, you know, the last couple of years we've had standouts. Like Seguiara was a bench player a couple of years ago. Vaughn, obviously, a year before that was off the bench scoring tries and making stacks of metres. But this year there was a few guys that played predominantly off the bench. Um, you had Kenny Edwards. Joseph Depine obviously made a decent impact at the Raiders. But probably the two that stood out more for what they do off the bench, Jason Bakuya turned more into a tight bench player this year. Kept the momentum going for the Sharks. I had a toss-up between Bakuri and Tapuan, but I, it kind of hurts me a little bit in the end because I didn't think he had a great year overall. But he's, he won him a couple of games off the bench. I've gone Sam Cassiano. I went Jason Bakuya. Yeah, well, he's been outstanding. Again, more because of how far he got his team. Yeah. Well, I just I thought the Bulldogs are a real disappointment, but the impact Sam Cassiano has off the bench, as much as I'm a bit uh, maligned at times about his performances, consistency, the minutes he plays, the impact for a big man is whether it be setting up a try or scoring one. Mm. Um, there's not many that do a better job off the bench. So, super sub of the year for me, Sam Cassiano, Boxhead, Jason Bakuya. Best coach. This one, you could you could sum it up a million different ways. It'd be easy for me to say Bellamy. Uh, but my best coach in the award, the fifth, I give it to Ricky Stewart. 
Um, the Raiders, we had him in our eight. Some people didn't have him in their eight. They obviously had the potential to be a dark horse. They ended up being more than a dark horse. They charged home. Massive winning streak. Lots of players burst out of their skin. Great team effort. And they finished second, so I'm going to give the credit to Ricky Stewart there for overachieving as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Oh, the two standout overachievers were Ricky Stewart and Neil Henry. Yeah. Uh, they were the two for me, but I think as a coach you get judged on results, and the two obviously are uh, Shane Flanagan and Craig Bellamy. I've given it to Craig Bellamy based on the whole season. I think Shane Flanagan was the best coach over the last month. I think the way that he coached in that... Uh, the game against the Raiders, I think he single-handedly, like his decision to hook Townsend was massive. Yeah. The coaching in the grand final to come up with that scrum try was outstanding. I think he was the best coach in the final series, and that's why his teams won the competition. But Craig Bellamy, again, another or a minor premiership. They were the best side throughout the season, the number one defence. He got them within a whisker of winning a grand final. The way that they played on grand final day, as we said, they, they could have got blown out. Any other side gets blown out by 30 for them to fight and hold on and have a chance to win it at the end, uh, I've got to go Craig Bellamy. I think he's clearly the best player, uh, the best coach in the game by a country mile. Yep, so there you go. The fifth award for the coach of the year. I've gone Ricky Stewart. Brock has given his to Craig Bellamy. Worst coach, one you don't want to win. Um, there was a few contenders for this one. I'm going to let you go first on this one. Why? Just because I was amused when you told me. Laurie Daly. <laughs> yeah, fair call. I've gone Laurie Daly. I think... He's out of his depth. He has no idea what he's doing. Uh, he picks consistently picks the wrong players. He picks players out of position. He rambles on NRL 360 and justifies the crap that he goes on with. I don't think he's... He's never done it really an apprenticeship as a coach. He hasn't worked under anyone as a coach. He's in there because he's an ex-New South Wales great and he's a fantastic player and probably just as good a person. Mm-hmm. This criticism isn't personal. No. I just think that the way that the New South Wales Rugby League and the way that our State of Origin team has been managed just well, obviously over the last 10 years, but in particular, I think we've had a chance to win. You know, I think our team's getting closer to Queensland, but yet the results aren't improving. Like, we had that one series win, but that goes back to Cronk going off the field. Like, yeah. you re- if you really want to be uh, unbiased and honest, uh, I think he's... Terrible. And I don't think Kevin Walters is much better, to be fair. No, nah, but he's already got a side that's a step, and that's going to break down sooner or later. They're going to have to uh, roll the squad. But what's scary, and I said it this year, they've already started to turn their squad over. We still refuse to drop, yeah. even that last game, we still refuse to drop a few blokes that we probably should. And I look at what Mal Meninga's selected for the Four Nations, and I'm going, well, you're picking some of the players that I wouldn't even pick for New South Wales. No, nah, we're, we're, we're a bit grim, I think, I from the Australian point it. of view. Yeah, I don't get it. I yeah, worst coach, Laurie Daly. Cop that. Well, I've gone Paul McGregor. Um, I've said during the year multiple times. Yeah, Boozy. Boozy McGregor. Mate, they, they eked out 10 and 14. They got close to the finals again, but their attack is absolutely horrendous. Uh, a few blokes listening to this show who are fans obviously heard me during the year keep highlighting the fact that Demetria was brought in to fix the attack, and the cutters absolutely obliterated um, the Bears on the weekend. They pulled Mounties apart with offloads and he plays a very unique style of football. And if you followed him the last couple of years, he was the assistant at North Queensland. And the year before that, he coached their Queensland Cup side, the Northern Pride. So he's won the Queensland Cup, the New South Wales Cup, won two of the the battle, you know, obviously the state championships, and he was part of the premiership staff. So if you brought him all the way down and you don't trust yourself enough as a coach to let him work with your attack, you've got to give yourself a triple. Mm. 
and the fact he persisted with Benji all year after all the trouble, knowing he wasn't going to be there, and you've signed Drew Hutchinson, and you give him one game at the end of the year. If you're preparing for your future and they've missed out on buying 7,000 halves, which they missed on all of them, surely you give him a run and at least get a look at what you're in for next year. But he wasn't even smart enough to do that. And they've bought another 7,000 back rowers. Like, buying Tarek Sims in the middle of the year, most unnecessary guy possible. Mm. You've got DeBellin as a back row who they try to play tight. Sims, Frizzell, Thompson. Then they've got Host, who's a gun coming through, and Leilua, who's like another back row type player. How many back rowers do you want, mate? How about you buy a prop? So I'm not arguing with you. Lots of decisions that are very... I don't, I don't have an argument to come back with because nah. I totally agree. And then the whole spine. They're trying to play block, block, pre-line, 15 metres away from the line. You wonder why the shape's not working. If you're going to do what Melbourne do and play that same crap over and over again, you've actually got to engage defenders and have people pushing through holes. Yeah. Um, just so many confusing decisions there. So, bit of a rant there, but Laurie Daly for Boxhead, worst coach, mine, Paul McGregor. Underrated player. This is one I like doing every year. Uh, underrated player. Don't really like to give awards to wingers, but we've said it the last couple of years, and I'm sticking with it. Sasai Fecky is my most underrated player. I can't remember from the other day if he got drafted into the Four Nations squad, but I think him and Jordan Rapana should both be in there. Um, no doubt about that. He's so good in yardage. He's a good finisher as well. He's tough as nails, but I don't think he's got anywhere near the credit he's deserved the last couple of years. Yeah, I went Peter Wallace. I think the influence he had on the Penrith side was totally underrated. They were a basket case before... Uh, Griffin moved, soured on, obviously, reshuffled the side, moved uh, James Seguiaro on, slotted Peter Wallace in at nine. And I thought at stages during the Origin Series or before the Origin Series, Peter Wallace, you could have made a case for him being the New South Wales hooker. I would have been comfortable with him picking Wallace at hooker because I thought on form he probably was the best-performed New South Wales number nine. Uh, He had a massive influence on where they ended up finishing. He gave him stability in the middle of the field. He defended well. He was tough, and I think it was a big big reason why. Like, if that if that experiment doesn't work, oh, who plays nine? Mate, complete capitulation. Uh, they, and that was a bold move early on in the year. I said, and you would probably agree with me, they needed to flip their spine very early on, and they did. They rolled the dice. They got yep. Cleary in there. Obviously, Martin went down, so they had to play Cartwright and had Moylan at the back, but... The move for Wallace to go, I think that suits him. He's never been a really dynamic half. Like, he doesn't really no. probably have enough speed to threaten the line. But out of nine, I think the pace of the game and him, he can ball play a bit more out of there. He was a lot more effective out of nine, and he's tough as nails. Suits his tempo. He's yeah. got a good kicking game. He's got a great pass both sides of the field. Tough he's a pretty nails. good talker. He's tough. It, yeah, it suits him to the ground. Yeah. But great it's move. Best move, and it's basically saved his career. Because at the start of yeah. this year, I was calling for his head after a couple of ACLs playing the halves with the talent they had. Mm-hmm. So this move has definitely saved him. So... Underrated players of the year for our fifth awards. Sasai Fecky for me, Boxhead, Peter Wallace. Overrated, Brock. There's a few you can have up there, but who have you got? Blake Ferguson. I I don't know how he got a run for the Australian Kangaroos again. I don't know how he justified getting a run in the Anzac Test. I don't know how he's going away on tour again. Now, I thought Latrell Mitchell, for the most part, outperformed him at fullback, and he's a rookie playing behind a forward pack. He was getting hammered with no halves. I thought when they moved Ferguson back there, he was pretty uh, he was pretty ordinary to be fair. And they finished at the bottom of the table. He was one of the you know the big off season signings. I get I guess returning to the Roosters or returning to rugby league. But yeah, he's mine. I thought he was terrible for New South Wales as well. Yeah, I didn't think he had a good year. He was one of the originals I had. I think the last couple of years I've kind of singled out a bloke who kept getting ripped jerseys in Josh Morris. So I'm not a big 
fan of. I think he's quite overrated for what he gets paid. But this year, I think this one's pretty easy, unfortunately, to say. But I'm going off his pay packet, and somehow it's probably Manly's fault more than anything. But Daily Cherry Evans. Oh, you've gone, you've gone after him. Well, I just how do you justify that pay packet? And they flipped the squad. Remember, they they were getting saved by Bozo. They bought. Tap out and they brought in Lewis Brown, who's basically non-existent as a first grade anymore. Coruscant, Walker. I understand they have injuries, but they put themselves in that position. They went for a quick fix. They already had an older squad, and they invested in a couple of guys like Miles, who they shouldn't have, um, and Tapio, etc. Yeah, they had bloody 13 halves combinations, but if you've got like a lifetime deal, ridiculous amount of money, you've got to have some influence over that team. And even when they did have players on the field, I didn't think he was that influential at all. I thought the two Trebojeviches were the standouts. So I'm giving him a pass only because... Of injuries and halves, combinations yeah, and all the rest of it. their forward pack was pretty poor. They didn't realise how important Kieran Foran was to their side. Brad Stewart's passed it. Uh, he didn't get much help. They didn't really have any stability at nine because Parcel... They looked good when Parcel was there and then he obviously got injured. I, I thought the one for Manly would have been to power... I'd, well, here was the other one I had in he's, next to yeah, it. Trying horrendously to overrated. He got a massive deal. Um, him and Walker got big back end of deals. Oh, when Walker actually got on the field, he tried pretty hard. But Tapio, for all the weights he lifts and all this supposed power, I tell you what, he doesn't put it to much practical use on the football field. Hmm. Um, There's of, another one, Laurie Daly. Puts Dylan Walker on for bloody seven minutes in State of Origin 1. Poor Dylan Walker. Good work, He Laurie. got torched. But overrated player, Brock's on Blake Ferguson. I've gone the old chairs purely off the pay packet. Come on, son. Give something. And that's Lewis going after the after Manly, not Brocky. Yeah. Toughest player. This one you could award a couple of blokes for different reasons throughout the year. Last year it was Jonathan Thurston, uh, who I think we both gave it to. I could have done that again. He plays tough. He gets hammered every week. But this year, knowing what he went through, I went with Matt Scott. He's still playing with a bulging disc or a problem with his neck. Um, that semi in particular the other week, they really needed him to go back on against the Broncos. He probably shouldn't have. But he did. He got needled off. He went back up there again. I have no idea. And somehow he's going on tour. He's a machine. I love Matt Scott. I'm he's also... My man crush. Also kind of filthy we picked him because I thought we were actually going to blood some players and given his physical condition that they're taking him. But um, he's played this year with a real, really big neck issue. And to be a front row is sticking your head in a spot where you want to put your hands half the time. Um, I've given Matty Scott my uh, toughest player for this season. I've gone with a different Scott. I went with Bo Scott. I thought he was uh, outstanding for Parramatta this year. He was a big reason why they had a... Well, they obviously shot up the ladder at the start of the year until they lost all their points, but he's a big reason why they won so many games. They would have finished in the top eight, close to the top four, if they hadn't lost those points. And he played busted. He played tough. He played fairly clean, I thought, this year. He sort of tidied his act up. He's been probably guilty of uh, giving away a few silly penalties and going a bit over the top in years gone by, but... I thought this year he was absolutely outstanding and a leader of that forward pack. Yep, no doubt about that. So there you go. Toughest player for me, Matt Scott for Boxhead, was Bo Scott. Dirtiest player. There's a few you could probably pick out here, but I uh, went with one that some people may not agree with. I was kind of thinking Josh Maguire, just for a lot of stuff in the ruck, a lot of niggle, a lot of stupid things. But I went with Blair, and my main pet hate with Blair, it's not so much stuff on the ground. He constantly hits kickers late, and the other one's just the shots in the back. I don't like the shots in the back. I think that's just very, very low. You don't need to, and if you respect your fellow players, you know, um, I just don't think it's needed. So I went Blair, and purely because he hits players in the back. Yeah, I'm just, I think it's a dog shot, and it's not needed. Yeah, it's cowardly, I think. Yeah, so there you go. You've got that one. Adam Blair from Lewis and Brock, Dirtiest Player of the Year with the Fifths Awards. You're the dirtiest bloke. Adam Blair. 
comeback player of the year. There wasn't really anyone that stood out to me injury-wise, but more so form-wise for this one. I gave it to Ben Barber. Um, this bloke, his career was on the rocks. The Sharks picked him up, rolled the dice, took on that huge pay packet, which wasn't justified for a bloke who was barely playing off the bench last year. Had a few moments, but overall, for what they were paying him, you almost thought he was done. And the talk this preseason um, was that he had a fairly decent effort, but it was going to be Holmes or Bird, and he may have been squeezed out. They gave him a few weeks. He started off a bit slow. They struggled, and then he just blossomed. So as far as that concerned, uh, I'm giving it to Benny Barber. I have Benny Barber for the reasons outlined. I can't add anything more to that. And no. agree with all that. Massive year and justified uh, his form and, and re- massive return to form and good for the Sharks. They needed that whole spine to pull together. They finally got one and it earned him a premiership. So comeback player of the year in the fifths awards is Benny Barber. Fallen player. This one's interesting. Um, it's kind of hard again, but Boxhead, who you got? Isaac Luke. I think he was horrendous this year. He was fat when he turned up. Injuries after that. Yeah, injuries, and his form was terrible. I, you look at the way that South played without him, you look at the way that he played without South, they were a match made in heaven, weren't they? Mm. So, look, he's got a lot to uh, make up for next season, Isaac Luke. He did not deliver at all on his pay packet. Uh, he was fairly ordinary, and they missed the eight with basically an international team. Next year, you're going to throw Kieran Foran in there, you're going to have an international spine. There's absolutely no excuse. He's got a massive forward pack to play behind. Uh, the pressure's going to be on. Yep. Well, my one, uh, Gareth Whittle, he's my fallen player. And again, people could say the Dragons are bad, and I said they were bad. But for a side that went 10-4, and four, he was non-existent. This is a bloke who, when he left Melbourne, I thought he might be the first one to really stand out, and he did the first year. Uh, he almost won a Dahlia medal. Last year, I thought he was pretty good again when they eked their way into the finals. Had a great influence, goal-kicking, play-kicking, running the football. There was a lot of good things he was doing. I know... Like I said, they had a complete struggle throughout their spine and probably their go forward this year. But when I looked at the numbers after that, they were third in metres, fifth in tackle breaks. So it's not like they weren't moving upfield or laying a platform, but he just looked absolutely lost as a footballer. He was an absolute shadow of the player he once was. So. It's funny how uh, Benji Marshall copped a lot of the criticism. We did not get was just as bad at all. But to me, Benji was trying to do something that he clearly isn't. Yeah, he's trying to play as a seven, which again is McGregor's fault. He's not a seven, mm. it's not a seven's backside. Widop's not a seven either. He's a six, but he wore none of the brunt, and I honestly thought he was dreadful. And he's a far, far away away from what he was, and a bloke that's supposedly on about six hundred thousand dollars. So Gareth Widop's my fallen player. Um, peanut of the year. This one, there was a couple of blokes who could take this award. You could say Corey Norman, um, but we've gone Andrew for feeder. You've gone Andrew for feeder. Well, I've gone for feeder for. The Loveridge stuff, and then I look back to last year as well. I don't want to bring it up, but the referees. And then this week leading into the grand final, the first thing that came out in the media was he just didn't regret what, he, what he'd done. So I just don't know why. I'm glad they won and they got the result in the end, and he's awesome as a football player. I totally respect him. He's an outstanding athlete. But as a person, leading the grand final week, the first thing I heard of news was him saying, I just don't regret it. Like, well, you didn't need to say that. You could have kept that to yourself. So. I went uh, Mitchell Pearce. He through the Roosters season well he basically set it on fire Mm. and I love him I think he's a great player he's on his comeback he was sensational he was one of the best players in the game I think for a little period there probably a month they ran really hot the Roosters and they were you know carving some teams up they beat the Cowboys they beat the Broncos Uh, you know they they give the Storm a, a really good run there and he was playing some really great football but to be out for 10 weeks uh it's particularly after they've lost Roger Tuivasa-Shek, they've lost some key players, 
uh, James Maloney was just absolute sacrilege. I don't know whether they would have made the eight. They finished second last. I think a lot of that's down to obviously the the uncontrollable, which was losing those players. They they yeah. lost them. They knew that they were losing them. But the controllable was that Mitchell Pearce could have not acted like a goose and had himself filmed and mm. thrown their season down the down the drain basically. So I gave it to him more. And I agree with what you said on Fafita, more for the impact that it had on, on, their, season. on their season, yeah. Yeah, well, Corey Norman, a bit the same. He didn't do the salary cap scandal, but just the repeat offences. and yeah, getting, dumb. getting himself to the point dumb. where he almost cost himself an $800,000 a year contract and then suspended for the rest of the year playing-wise. Mm. Very silly. Lucky for him they weren't in finals contention. Or he, we said it, looking at it, the Daly M, the way he was collecting points and the fact he got banned, he... You could almost say he cost himself a Dalian medal. Well, he was my bet of the year at fifty-one dollars. If they win, a, he, if they win a couple more games, which they probably would have eked a few more out, and he's not suspended, yeah. you'd think he holds the votes. Um, so he potentially cost himself that. So peanuts of the year for me, Andrew Fafita. For you, Corey Norman, best buy. Uh, you give a rap to Taylor Whitehead, a couple of these blokes, but it's pretty simple. James Maloney. Yeah, he delivered a premiership. Well and truly done his job. I'm happy that he's got a chance for the green and gold, but I don't agree with it on the principle of moving forward towards a World Cup, um, that he's 30 years old. I thought Milford or one of the other blokes should be going on that tour, but best buy, I think we're both set on that shortly. Yep. Reasons outlined. Yep, James I agree. Maloney, worst buy. You could basically, you could pick a fair few here for different reasons. Hodkinson's an easy target at Newcastle. Luke for the Warriors, foreign because he blew it, but I'm going to do it again. I'm just going to say Manly's general buying the, yeah. the number one one for me was Nate Miles how his form at the Titans the last couple of years forget Origin we always know he gets good at Origin it's an uglier slower dirtier game but they've paid half a million dollars for three years for him and I think he can barely move um, and the way he played this year and finished up injured again that's a big pay packet and I don't think anyone's going to be willing to pick him up in the NRL so one of the reasons why the Titans made the eight was because we got rid of Nate Miles. Yeah, well, Nate and Miles. the only team stupid enough to pick him up. And look, I've got nothing against Miles. No, neither do I. But, but the game's has uh, got quicker and he's got slower. So that's simple maths. I just, yeah, as a prop, he's never really been a meter eater. He's been more of a defensive-style player. And in those slower, uglier games, he does suit. But he's at an age now and he's played a lot of football. I just couldn't justify a three-year deal worth close to I half. I think the other one was Martin Tapiao. He... Yeah, well. Yeah, Luke, Foran, there's a lot. But those few manly boys, like Louis, Lewis Brown, I don't know, I love Lewis Brown. I thought he was an outstanding footballer, but he's absolutely disappeared off the face of the planet. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there was a fair few dodgy boys this year for obvious reasons. But, yeah, I think Miles would probably be the highlight one for me. You? Yeah, agreed. He's the highlight. Well, there you go. Yeah. Bargain boy. This is the other category. Like I said, there wasn't really any dollar dazzler minimum wage kind of player this year. Um, I think if you're going to go value for money, considering they got him for a decent rate at the start of the year and how, how he turned out, you'd probably give this award to Ash Taylor. Yeah, I've got Ash Taylor. I, well, who else do you give it to? Well, Elliot Whitehead. By, definitely. Elliot Whitehead came over on small coin. He's obviously been upgraded already. Um, if you're going to go a mid-season one, I thought that Elijah Taylor was absolutely outstanding for the price that the Tigers paid middle of the year. But yeah. um, start of the year, what they paid him, they've already upgraded him twice since, and rightfully so, he's been outstanding. But Ash Taylor's turned out to be an absolute bargain for the well, Tigers. Well, then you look at yeah, you look at their mid-season buys in Pete's and Hurrell. They both came on good for the Titans. So mm. there was yeah some smart purchases by the Titans, but that comes back to DC flipping. Yep. The DC flip left us with, what, well, a million basically on the cap. Didn't even have a top 25 filled up. No. So, so 
Uh, yeah, that'd be the bargain buy, I think. Ash Taylor's value for this first 12 months and what they paid him initially. He's the bargain buy. He gets our fifth for that. Overachieving team, I think this is easy again. We're both on the Titans, surely. Yep. Absolutely written off at the start of the year. A lot of people gave him the spoon. DC flips. Haven't even filled their top 25. A lot of people. You did, boy, big boy. No, I'm on there. I'm not complaining. Gossip. I'm saying plenty of people. Um, and just looking at things overall, Ryan James needed to have a big year. They lost Caesar, they lost Roberts. No one knew what they were going to get from the halves. LG went down, and then the back row was McQueen wasn't that great at South. Taylor was coming back, but in general, I thought their whole back row, especially Birdie, was actually outstanding. That's his best season for a long time. The halves were good. Everybody dug in, and then during the year, smart purchases mid-season to pick up. So I think they're the overachieving team, and they win our fifth for that. Underachieving team... I was going to say the Roosters, but I thought they started with a heap of injuries and a lot of blokes left, so I went the Warriors. It's probably the easy target, but the Warriors even had their mid-season run during Origin, as they always do, had chances to make the eight, and they just fell over again. I went the Roosters because they were poor. Yeah, they were terrible. They're a side that I had penciled in my eight. Uh, they should have made the eight, and they didn't. They finished second last. They got beaten home by Parramatta, who lost basically all their points. Yeah. So, yeah, the only side worse than the Roosters this year was Newcastle, and we all saw how bad Newcastle were. Mm. Uh, the Roosters, yeah, definitely under Absolutely. underachievers. Yep, there you go. Well, now we get to the finish up before we name our teams of the year and our player of the year. What's your highlight of the season? Uh, highlight of the season for me was the final series. I thought the final series was great, culminating with the grand final. Uh, you know, there weren't many stinkers in there. Uh, obviously, the, the Panthers-Bulldogs uh, game was a little bit of a blowout, but for the most part, most of the games were competitive, tight, uh, and, you know, I really enjoyed the final series. I, I love it. The weather warms up, and I thought the 20s final series was pretty good as well. Obviously, the grand final culminated in a good grand final. So, yeah, I, I just enjoyed the last month of footy. Yep. Uh, my highlight, I kind of was split between the emergence of the young talent. I'd probably say this every single year, but the young halves in particular, Taylor, Cleary, I enjoyed watching Cleary thoroughly. Just all the Penrith players, a lot of the young kids coming through. Um, and that was the second kind of part of it. Not only the emergence of the young talent, Yvonne Valus, all these blokes, but watching the Raiders and the Panthers rise up again. Um, both very, very entertaining. Not many games where I wasn't kind of left stunned or laughing or get off the couch for a flick pass or a hit or a tackle bike or just something. They're both really, really good to watch. So uh, that was a highlight for me this year. But low light of the season. New South Wales State of Origin team. Yep, every year. They are <laughs> the mismanagement, the selections, the performance, this stupid selection panel that oversees Laurie Daly. Just all the bullshit they carry on with, uh, the players they pick, the way they strut around, the way that we constantly sledge Queensland, and I just, yeah, it's rubbish. We should just be quiet. Just a losing culture. So much wrong with it, and it's my only chance every year to get a win, to get some sort of a trophy, you know, until the Titans become more relevant. Obviously, they made the eight this year. That was good as winning the grand final for me, but that's my grand final every year, and constantly just consistently I've got to put up with the crap that they carry on with they're unprofessional and they yeah it's going to be it looks looks as though it's just going to be the same thing again next year we've got two games in Queensland one in New South Wales so good luck with that we'll see what we pick my low light of the season was the match review panel and just the inconsistencies at start at the start of the year they set a poor example when Tapau only got a grade one when he KO'd Bird and um, then you had the shoulder charge charges at the end of the year 
and how they tried to get Jack White and instead of Innes when they were basically the same thing and then trying to justify it and then the separation of the arm. Like, things like that shouldn't be happening during the final series. No. Instead of worrying about the games that week when we're heading into it, we had to sit there and focus on a judicial decision that was just silly. So Absolutely. We've talked about it before. I think they need to bring in a solid panel that's there every single week, the same people judging things over and over again. And I can, can I just throw in a, a very close runner-up was the way that the referees refereed that Titans-Broncos game. That was absolute dog shit. It's a pretty bad game. Worse, well... Widely acknowledged as the worst, worst refereeing, worst referee game, worst refereeing performance in the last forty years. Mm, pretty horrendous. Try of the year. I went the Panthers in week one of the finals. The Peter Wallace try. It's a good try. Yeah, no doubt about that. More because it was a team try. Obviously, the I think the one you're going to say. Yep. That, oh. that for me was yeah the best individual trial, best moment, like one little play. Mm. Definitely. Well, the play of the year. Individual, I was sitting there yesterday and I was almost set on that massive Rad Rara run against South Sydney because he basically beat the whole team. But yep. um, I went with the Leilua to Rapana one. I know it wasn't so much a long distance try or anything, but the fact he got that pass out, that's a ridiculous pass. Yeah, I'd almost throw my shoulder out trying to wrap around the body. So, well, Rad Rara won. Luke Keary wins the part, wins the award for the worst pass of the year because that that, that was it, the one that hit Rad Raja on the chest. I can't believe he ran the whole length of that. There was plays everywhere. Oh, incredible. He, he I was there that night. We were, in a, we were in the William Hill box that night and yeah, it was it was a cracker, but the game was pretty much over and Yeah. You gotta you gotta weigh it up. Um the the try, the Wallace try that I'm referring to, put the dagger in the heart of the dogs and the one that you're referring to basically ended the Tigers season. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, in terms of a play, you won't see any better than that pass from Leilua. And I think in terms of team play, you won't see any better than that try from the Panthers. So, 100%. All right. Game of the year. What was your game of the year? Uh, week two, finals. Broncos, Broncos Cowboys. Cowboys. Followed closely like by... the grand final. Well, the, the three games that those teams played, mm. then the grand final. Yeah, well, I had the exact same. Broncos, Cowboys, week two was awesome. And the grand final, I really, really enjoyed um, that wraps up all the normal awards going through there for the fifths. We obviously have our player of the year and our team of the year. What we might do, we'll go through our teams of the year first. So at fullback for Brock, who have you got? Tedesco. I also have James Tedesco, our wingers of the year and our teams, Brock. Rapana and Mansour. Yep, I've also gone Josh Mansour and Jordan Rapana. Your centres. Joey Leilua and Tyrone Peachy. I have Joseph Leilua and Jared Croker. Your 5'8". James Maloney. Mine is also James Maloney. Your halfback. Cooper Cronk. Mine's also Cooper Cronk. Your front rowers. Ryan James, Jesse Bromwich. Mine is also Ryan James and Jesse Bromwich starting at 9. Uh, Josh Hodgson. Josh Hodgson for me. Your back rowers. Tohu Harris and Wade Graham. I have Tohu Harris and Josh Papali and your lock. Tamalolo. Tamalolo. And our bench is open slather. We can pick anyone we want. You can have four fullbacks, three hookers, whatever it is. Just players to you that obviously didn't fit in their position but obviously stood out. So your first bench player. Uh, I'm going to go Cameron Smith. I have Cameron Smith as well. Um, a lot of people out there, again, not a big fan of him. But if you watch football closely or you really understand the nuances of the game, there's not many people with a bigger influence than Cameron Smith. Mm. Uh, your second bench player. Uh, Jared Croker. Yep, I have gone Andrew Fafita, regardless of what he did off the field. Uh, he had an absolutely massive year. Your third bench player? Marika Corabiti. Outstanding meter eater. I have gone Benny Barber. Uh, very hard not to pick him in the side, but I put Tedesco. And your last bench player? Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson. I went Trent Merrin. 
Uh, and some honourable mentions at fullback there, I thought uh, Munster and Darius Boyd had very, very good years. You got any honourable mentions? Yeah, I got Boyd. Uh, wingers, I thought both the Melbourne wingers, Vuni and Korobiti, and then also Holmes and Fecky for the Sharks. I went uh, Nofaluma and obviously the Sharks wingers. Yep. Centres, uh, Jack Bird, I thought had a good year. Carter in a, in a poor side, and then obviously Peachy and O'Neill. I thought O'Neill went next level. I went Carter and O'Neill, yeah. Yep. Five eights. Uh, Milford and Morgan, I thought probably played well for the first half of the year, but I'd say Corey Norman if he didn't set himself on fire. I went Norman based on, yeah, he probably would have won the Daily M if he didn't. Fluff it. I know a lot of people had Moses, but as far as I'm concerned, I don't care what you do with the ball. He lets two or three tries in almost every week. So until he learns how to tackle, I can't give him any credit. He's yeah. playing in the NRL. Um, yeah, for as much as he does with the ball, without it, I, I think he's a real liability. Halfbacks was a hard one to pick. I think Thurston's the obvious one, and I thought Hunt was steady without being outstanding, but I don't think it was a great year for sevens. Yeah, I had Taylor and Cleary. Yeah. I thought those two were... That highlights it, doesn't it? Two young blokes. JT was... Patchy, I thought. He, but it's very hard to win the comp, win everything like yeah. he did last year, and then back it up. Origin. He also had the All Stars game, the Nines, the trip over to the World Club Challenge, the start of the year. He had Origin, the Test match. So it's yeah, it's eventually going to take its toll. So that maybe it is a disappointment of losing like a game like they, the preliminary final that'll light him up again. It's just. There was not that there's no motivation for him, but there's no, yeah, no real spark or, or log in the fire based on the previous season. Like he sort of had everything go his way. Well, they were like that. Very as, hard. They like that as a team as they finished up. They, yeah. they ran out of gas basically. Um, props. The props I give a mention to James Graham as always. Big year. Matty Pryor finished up, especially the second half. The absolutely gangbusters. I got Pryor and uh, James Graham, yeah. Yeah, hookers. I know there was a lot of good hookers. I'm going to give a mention to Mick Innes, um, obviously Peter Wallace, and the other one was Jake Friend. Jake Friend, in a very, very bad side, was outstanding. I had Friend. He led most tackles in the NRL. Yeah. Almost 1,300 tackles. Second rowers, there was a lot of good ones. I thought Lowe before he got hurt, Gillette. Um, Cordner, after his injury, he was absolutely outstanding, as always. And then I thought Jackson and... And Wade Graham, I could have picked probably four back rows. Like, I could have put guys on the bench, like I said. I went Gillette. I thought he uh, started the year outstanding. I don't think he finished the year real good. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I went Gillette. Yeah, Locks. Um, I thought Trent Merrin. Or, 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 what am I talking about? I got Trent Merrin in there. I thought Trebojevic had a massive year. Uh, I thought Fanukin obviously improved a lot there. And Burgess, I didn't think he started year that great. And he had a lot of errors. But overall, the numbers he still puts up, um, probably tried a little bit too hard and got a little bit silly this year. But if he reigns things back in, he could easily be one of the best forwards in the comp. I had uh, Trent Merrin. Well, there you go. So we'll announce our team of the year again and read them out after we announce our player of the year. And for this season, it is Jason Tamalola. Yep. I think it's quite obvious choice. Some people... Uh, probably would have thought you'd go with Hodgson. I think Hodgson had a very, very good year and his influence is outstanding. But Jason Tamalola, um, the metres, the tackle breaks, the overall influence on the game, just the pure domination. He had an absolutely outstanding season. And for a forward to finally break that hoodoo and get back into the Daly M circle, that's quite a rare year from him. Yep. There's not many more dynamic. But just quickly running through our team of the year again for Lewis. I have James Tedesco at fullback, Jordan Rapana and Josh Mansell on the wings. Joey Leilua, Jared Croker in the centres. Maloney, my six. Halfback, Coop Cronk, front row, Bromwich and Ryan James. Josh Hodgson is the hooker. The back row, Josh Papali and Sohu Harris. And at lock, 
Jason Tamalolo. The bench, Cameron Smith, Andrew Fafita, Ben Barber, and Trent Merrin. Boxhead. I had Tedesco, Rapana, Leilua, Peachy, Mansour, Maloney, Cronk, uh, Bromwich, Hodgson, James, Graham, Harris, Tamalolo, Smith, Jackson, Croker, and Corabiti. There you go. There's our team of the year. Um, subjective stuff. Anyone who listens and blows up and gets angry and sends things through that they disagree, smash it on a table. Um, you have your own choices. That's fine. You know, we're open to good opinions here. We'll put something up later on and ask you for your teams of the year. No one attack each other, please, people. Let's, let's try and be nice to each other. We've all got our own opinions. And our player of the year for the fifth awards goes to Jason Tamalola. Congratulations to him and all the other winners, whether you got a good one or a bad one. Um, but, yeah, I think those teams of the year were quite easy to pick, really. Most positions were were quite solid. I think you'd agree, Brock. Yep, absolutely. The bench opened to your own interpretation, but there you go. So far, we've reviewed the grand final, done the awards, the last thing for the year for all you listeners out there, season reviews of all the clubs. So we're going to go through 16th through to 1st. Once we get to the top eight, it's in the order that they were eliminated, not what they finished at the end of 26 rounds. And then we'll review our predictions that we made at the start of the year, how they ended up. Um, some of our futures bets and overs, unders, wins, which we've done pretty bloody good again this year. So if you follow our bets, you might have some cash right now. But starting off Newcastle, they finished 16th. Um, and looking at them, they were 15th in attack, last in defense. Absolutely horrible year in that regard. One win, one draw, 22 losses. And I'm pretty sure they used the most players. They used 35, and it's their second wooden spoon in a row box head. Yeah, well... To me, they were clearly the worst roster at the start of the year. I had them finishing last. Nothing that I saw from them surprised me. I was surprised they only lost one game. I guess that's the only surprise I saw out of Newcastle. But one, Nathan one Brown game. did it. Yeah, sorry, yeah. one one game. They uh, but Nathan Brown probably did a good job. He blooded a lot of players and he got rid of a lot of dead wood. So I think they're in a better position at the end of the year than what they started it. Uh, and their results on the field were what I expected. Yeah, the I. Will completely come out and admit this, eat and humble pie. I have no idea what in my mental state or clarity made me think they wouldn't be last at the start of the year. I take, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I, I copped that full on, and I had them 14th as well. I had the Tigers even under them. So in that sense, I don't know what I was thinking. You, I, you were influenced by Cousin Gary. Oh, the power of Cousin Gary is out there. Anyone listening to me right now, this is the worst thing I've done in four years, and I'm happy to admit that. How I had this prediction that I've been so good at these in futures, I basically need to sack myself. Well, there was a few fans on there that jumped on with me I said Newcastle that was $7 to yeah. win the wooden spoon there was a bloke there I, I can't think of his name but he's he's backed them early and then backed them again accidentally twice Nothing and then that. worked out that he doubled his cash and well, thought they paid him wrong and then realised that he'd had the bet twice I've got here you should have had the bet four times I've got here in my betters list I added it after week one because you sent me a message saying that was $6 so I had a crack after week one just thinking that's ridiculous odds um, and it's it he's flogged them week one. Pretty good, but I think the biggest thing is what you said. They blooded a lot of young players, and the big thing was the clean-out. Sims wanted too much money. He gave him the flick. They've just initiated a trade deal to offload money. Uate's gone. They got Bureau, which is a pretty handy pickup there. Uh, Jeremy Smith, Houston was pushed out before the start of the season. Snowden, McManus, Rocco. A lot of guys that either needed to retire or be moved on or blokes asking for too much coin. Um, the rebuild has begun. I think he's done a pretty good job. It's a long road ahead. The club's an absolute mess, and I can't believe they're in such a bad salary cap position. But um, the kids he got in this year, I thought, at the mid-year pickup of Barnett, I thought he was really, really good. 
Um, just yeah, it's it's mostly those blokes, the Safidis, these guys they've got coming through. There's still a long, long way to go, but I think he's made a great start. And in particular, like I said, getting rid of some of that dead wood. He pushed a few blokes, and he probably offloaded two or three contracts. I, did, I didn't think he'd be able to get rid of Uate, but Manly somehow have decided that was a good move, and they've given Bureau the other way. I think Newcastle winning that trade, considering where they're at, and probably not needing to pay almost six hundred grand or winger. Yeah, I agree. So. Hard to you Newcastle fans, but head up. Moving forward, I think the hard times continue. It's hard to want to say that, but their yeah, cost, Jason, Bureau, there's not a whole lot coming into the club. They don't have a lot of money to spend, but for future years, probably the year after that, they're in a much better position because they're a couple of contracts. Like I said, I didn't think they'd be able to move, which probably frees up some money. Don't know who they're going to get or who's going to want to go there, but the build will be internal. That'll be the big thing they'll keep focusing on. So hard year for them. Use the most players. Hopefully they win a few more games, and I'm sure they will in season 2017. But 15th, the Roosters, 13th in attack, 13th in defence, six wins, 18 losses. They used 30 players. The previous year, they obviously finished minor premiers and then got knocked out the week before the grand final. So this is a massive, massive fall from grace. Um, Couldn't believe it, to be honest. There was no over-under market, so I couldn't have that one. And just sorry for the Newcastle Knights. We had the overs-unders there. I think we both got that one right, didn't we, as far as games won? Eight and a half was the overs-unders. We both said under. Yep. So if you would have bet us there, you would have been a winner. Um, and the Roosters, I had them finishing eighth. What did you have them finishing? Uh, I had them finishing sixth. There you go. So we both had them in our eight. They finished 15th. Uh, obviously starting off with no Maloney. No Sheck, and then Pierce, like you said, basically torched himself. Then Jared Rhea Hargraves, ACL, Boyd Corden, a peck. It couldn't have started on a worse note, could it? And we've got your two best forwards in uh, Warrior Hargraves. And, and your Corden whole up. spine. And you're playing with friend. only one play, one out of your four out of your spine in yeah. Jake Friend. So. And they got rid of their whole left edge. And they um, lost, but they lost a lot of close games. Yeah, start of the year, they lost the Raiders by a point. There was a couple, I think in their first eight games, they lost four by less than six or something like that. There you like go. That. So they weren't. It weren't shocking, but nah. the results just weren't there. No, nah, the wheels fell off after that. Um, I think Aiden Guerra didn't handle things very well, neither did Dylan Napa. They both flattened out during the hard times. Tokiaho, probably the standout for me, when he was healthy. Yeah. Hard to see him blow um, the ACL. But the injuries, probably the biggest upside for them, is winning the under-20s, and they blooded a lot of players. So Joseph Manu, Connor Watson, Latrell Mitchell, Craig Garvey, Nat Butcher, there's some pretty good players there. Nat Butcher looks like Paul Gallon 10 years ago, yeah. 15 years ago. So, Absolutely blooded some guns. Uh, looking. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Forward to next year after. They debuted 11 players this year. That's heaps for them. Looking forward to next year, though. Uh, I think getting Liam Knight, regardless of his off-field behaviour and whether a lot of fans are happy about it or not, that could be an absolute bargain boy because he's a weapon. Paul Carter on his last legs, but he could prove very valuable. Luke Keary comes in there. Do they play Watson? Do they play him? They've got options now, at least, which they didn't have the year before. And I think Mick Gordon, most likely, I don't think he'll play fullback. I think they've bought him to be more of a goal-kicking winger. I think they might do the Minicello-Mitchell kind of move where they alternate in good ball and in defence. That's yeah. kind of what I think they may have bought him for, plus the goal-kicking. 
Potentially, yeah. Uh, you, they can't be that bad next year. They've got to be back in the eight, surely. They're oh, still feeling close, close enough to. I, you look at the eight this year, and who's going to fall out? Really? Look, that's that's another question. So yeah. Well, this is all the big thing. I think doing the season reviews this year compared to most this salary cap situation where the players don't know what it is yet. A lot of guys haven't re-signed. Mm. So we're doing this before usually most rosters are pretty much sewed up. There's still a couple of players that are yet to agree to terms. So by the time we do previews next year, there's going to be some blokes still moving club. Um, there's six weeks for that to happen, but Roosters, not a great year for them. We both had in the eight. They obviously missed out. 14th was the Eels technically. Uh, they were 16th in attack. They were the worst attacking side in the comp, but speaks volumes to their win-loss record and how important defensive is, they were second in defence in the competition. Yeah, well, didn't really put them in a good good spot. But nah. uh, they, for me, they I had them in the top four. No, I didn't. I had them fifth, and I think that's where they would have finished. Uh, I think on wins and losses, that's, that is where they finished. But uh, look, the salary cap drama took the guts out of them, and they were never going to win enough games to get back in after they'd lost the... I think it was 12 points they lost. Yeah, plus players, Paulo, Pete, these yeah. kind of guys, what now retired, foreign, the foreign issue. Rather they look in a good spot, but it, I think it might take another year. Like next year, I think they'll make the eight next year. They'll go very, very close. Um, still probably another year away. Next year, they're going to have to sign uh, another half and probably a front row. I think their front row is short. They lost Joseph Paulo and Tim Manor, I don't think it's going to be... This might be Tim Manners last year. Yeah, well, I think 13 wins, 11 losses. That's obviously after the cap. I think they won six or seven games after that. Uh, they used 28, uh, 12th year before. Overs, unders, uh, 11 and a half. If you go off the actual betting, you would have been paid. They won over that, but obviously lost Yeah, it's wins and losses. It's not based on where they finished. Yeah, well, I had them finishing 11th. Obviously, they would have finished higher than that, but given the salary cap thing, they finished 4th. Um, I think the biggest highlight for them is Brad Arthur not leaving them after all the crap he's had to deal with and off from the Warriors to jump ship. The fact that he stayed solid, I think that's huge for the club. Yeah, but he's got, got a pretty good roster there. Oh, but given the situation... I think, I think there's more upside at Parramatta than what there is at the Warriors, to be fair. The Warriors club cultures... How would you be there after three years of just enduring all this crap constantly? It's got to grow on you at some point. Um, I think yeah, His job is to coach the team. He did a good job at that. The off-field staff, they need to bring people in that are good enough to manage all that. That's not his job. Well, they've started to do that, and I think the new bloke who came in is a Bernie Gurr. I think they've finally handed full control of football to him, so he knows exactly now salary cap, player recruitment, that's all on him, so he's not going to have interference anymore, which before yeah. he was consultating, so that's a good move. Norman hopefully has a big year. Edwards, French, Gutherson, a lot of these guys had pretty good years, so moving forward, I'm all with you. I don't know how much wiggle room they've got next year. I think they'll be a tough side that might scrape into the eight, but they'll be definitely competitive, but the big thing, and he's already brought that out, they have close to a million dollars the year after that, which they're looking to spend on a half next season. So they'll be targeting the number seven moving forward. So Parramatta look out for them next year. Oh, what have we got here? Manly. Manly finishing 13th, 12th in attack, 12th in defence, 8 wins, 16 losses, 31 players used, uh, 25th day, and they finished just outside this year. 13th place. I had them finishing 7th. Where did you have them? I had them finishing 12th. There you go. So you're pretty close on that one. Overs, unders was 13.5. We both had under. So if you would have backed us there for wins losses for the season, you would have collected some money. But overall, new coach, new players, and it just completely fell apart. Um, some of those four... It was a, a quick turnaround. I wasn't happy with Nate Miles and a couple of the buyers. I thought they were looking for a quick fix, and it backfired on them. 
it really did backfire. I didn't. A lot of people had him in their eight. A lot of people had him making the grand final. A ridiculous I, grand I final. Couldn't see it happening. I, I've got questions over Barrett as a coach. They lost four, and who I thought was their best spine player. I think he's better. He's a better player than DCE. Um, whether whether he is or whether he isn't. Mm. Uh, obviously, this year. Foran played better in his short time at Parramatta than what DC did at any stage for Manly. But Manly's forward pack is pretty ordinary. I think they, they've they lost some players and replaced them with inferior players, in my opinion. Uh, and their outside backs, to me, looked old. Like uh, Your two centres, Matto and Lyon, great players, but they're Thank old. You. They played Walker at 5'8", which was a total flop. And that was probably the main reason why I left them out of my eight, because it was... All the pre-season would talk was how good Dylan Walker was going to go at six when he only moved there in January anyway. So he didn't miss the first six weeks of the pre-season. Uh, yeah, they're they're a bit of a dumpster fire at the moment, Manly. They're going to, and even this year they've moved some players on and haven't really got much back in return. Uh, I think Blake Green's going to be a good buy for them. He'll settle DCE, but I've still got concerns over their forward pack and how they feel they're outside those. You know, you lose line and Matt and Brett Stewart's looking old. They've got to stick with Tom Trebojevic, but that's a contract that's taking up a lot of money that's eaten into their cap. So they've got, they've got a few issues at the moment, mainly. Yeah, well, that's the big thing for me. Stewart's on big money, probably wants to keep playing, and they he was good to go, apparently, the back end of last year. They basically iced him out. So, But if he doesn't want to go anywhere, he doesn't have to. Mm. And Matt always had his injuries. I think when he's there, he's always good, but he's injury-prone now. Lyon's obviously moved on, but... Tafua is the other one. He's young, but he's had a lot of injuries. So a lot of that back line. He's never really he constant had a injury. Of years there, and then he's he's been injured ever since that. I know that. Yeah, he's ACL. He's had his ankle. He's had a shoulder reconstruction. He just hasn't been healthy. It's kind yeah. of the same thing out in the Wolfman. Wolfman had two or three really good years, and then just could never get healthy. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think this, the biggest thing is back end of contracts, and they've kind of handcuffed themselves because they did that with Walker Tapia to get these couple of guys over. They've also done back end deals. So mm. the next couple of years, they've almost handcuffed themselves and what's coming in to all the players they pushed out depth-wise. I think they're going to be short and outside backs. Green does help Cronk, but the forward pack hasn't changed really at all. They've got Iwate uh, coming in, which, again, I don't know how much they paid him in that swap for Bureau, but I think Newcastle would be happy because they've offloaded a big cap and they've picked up a pretty solid player for a decent price. So, um, Manly fans, oh, I'm not too sure what to say. There's a lot of blokes still off contract, but they definitely need to make some moves before the, the pre-season starts. Cause I'm not going to kick them while they're down, Manly, but... Yeah, I've copped the I've copped a fair bit for predicting Manly to finish where they did, but I'm uh, I've got it spot on. Well, they're in a pretty hard spot right now, so there, there is some names still off, but they definitely need to make some moves to fill in before this next season rolls around. Otherwise, I think they're going to be in for another hard year. I think moving like moving Jeff Tuvion was a wrong call. No, right. that was the club decision. From... I didn't agree with that at all, and that's where this roster flip has come from. And um, Bob Fulton's got a lot to do with that, so. And Kelly is it? You're going to make these big calls. You need to. Is it Joe? You need to wear it, Joe Kelly. Yeah. Whatever his name is, who knifed Tuvi just because he was on the other side of the faction when all that mm. crap was going on. And I blew up at the time. Yeah, I blew up all the time last year about it. They're ridiculous, but um, they've made their bet. They're going to have to lie in it now. It was the first time Tuvi missed the eight. Yeah, and he still he finished ninth, just outside the eight. And now Barrett's come in first year, flipped his roster, and he's finished thirteenth. Like, well, I'm also. I also. How long does Barrett get? If they miss the eight next year, does Barrett go? I also reflect on Bob Fulton. I don't agree with New South Wales selections for such a well, long time. Go. And now he comes in, does this flip. Everyone's praising him, saying things going to be so great. Nothing's been said. People are like he's like Gus Gould. Well, no, he's not. No. Because Gus Gould's got a track record of success yeah. and building clubs. But 
to be fair, Gus doesn't get involved a lot in player recruitment. That's he bring... left a lot of that up to Ivan, and a lot of it now is up to Griffin, and he's got good people working behind the scenes in retention and recruitment at Penrith. Let's bring... Rose is trying to control, sorry, trying to control all of it. Let's bring one thing in perspective, which gives me the shits more than anything, though. He never cops anything for the New South Wales uh, dodgy picks, and in this situation, at the start of the year, he's been hailed as a saviour. Where's the backlash on Bozo Fulton right now? Mm. I haven't heard a single bloody word since the season ended. He's just copped it from me for New South Wales. Well, he's going to cop it from me as well for the Manly setup because Jeff Tuvey never should have been fired, and some of the moves he made were absolutely ridiculous. Mm. So, and back at the contracts, they already should have learnt this from when Daz Hasler did it and left a ticking time bomb when he headed to the Dogs. They've just done it with these couple of players they brought in desperately before this year started. Mm-hmm. So they always come back to bite you. They better hope they get some service next year or Stuart or Matto or someone moves on. But you also need players to want to go there. Mm. Um, and their 20s went from being in the grand final. I think they ran last or second last this year. And their New South Wales Cup side ain't much better. Mm-hmm. Um, things aren't looking too great. Well, they're moving to Blacktown Workers next year, so we'll see, yeah, how well, see how that goes. But sorry, Manly fans, I think things uh, might be a little bit testy next year again. South Sydney, they finished 12th, 11th in attack, 11th in defence, 9 wins, 15 losses, 31 players used. 2015, they were 7th and struggled a little bit. Overs, unders, 13.5. We both had under on the wins there. You would have won money again. I had them finishing ninth, so I had them outside my 8. I had them finishing 8th. So I, I had a toss-up between them and, and the uh, Roosters, I think. No, and the Raiders. Yeah, well, I had a toss-up between them and the Bulldogs basically being out. Bulldogs held in, but I thought this all started... Before the, the ball was even kicked, you have the Russell Crowe issue, him giving it to the players, divide between them after the Walker and Gray situation. A lot of people rubbed up the wrong way about Burgess coming back on such big money and his two brothers and them being the forefront. They had divide in the group beforehand, but especially the Kiri thing, they were really big mates. So um, there was offset, there was problems and divide, and I felt bad if for anyone more than in this situation, Michael McGuire, because mm. he didn't start any of these fires. Um, that he had a lot to deal with before they even found themselves on a footy field. Then they got a couple of injuries, and obviously, in particular, the two Burgess brothers, the front rowers, who needed to really lead from the front because they've lost some firepower, as we've seen, due to salary cap over the last couple of years. They were dreadful, the two front rowers. Um, I know they had a good positive end of the year, all three Burgesses and a lot of the team, but um, at the start of the year when you needed those two to be digging in, I thought they were the ones that really let down Sam. Um, Johnny Sutton got injured. Adam Reynolds was basically held together by duct tape this year, even though he played Origin a few other bits and pieces. They struggled with a nine position between McInnes and Cook. I think they should have persisted with Cook. I don't know why they didn't, um, but a lot didn't go right there. Uh, they had seven debutants late in the year, so I think there was some positives there with a few of the kids they brought in, and they, they did finish on a high note, but it wasn't a great year for South. So there's no doubt about that. Terrible, yeah. They gave up too much to get too little in return from Sam Burgess. He was uh, he tried his bum off, but yeah, he was 100%. a shadow of the player that left two years ago. Made far too many errors, far too many missed tackles and penalties and things like that. So, yeah, I think, look, it's just a case of you give up too many chips to, you know, get one back. And the one that, you know, you put all your uh, put all your eggs in the one basket with was just didn't deliver. Yeah. Simple, so... And- I also think the coaching, they sort of, they're a little bit like the Dragons in that they're still sort of trying to play that same style. They won't break out of it. Um, the Kiri incident, obviously, Crow and Kiri threw them under the bus. Adam Reynolds didn't have a great year. They missed Luke at nine. Similar to the Roosters, I guess, in that they've had to flip a lot of their spine over. Yeah, and yeah it's pretty ordinary. I, Michael McGuire, to me, 
did a fairly good job to finish, to get them to finish the season the way they did. Yeah, and I think the back end there, there was some positive with guys, some younger blokes. I thought Heimel Hunter was injured for a big part of the year, and Aaron Gray really showed that they're good footballers and they're going to be able to play in the centres for them there. Uh, Damien Cook, who they refused to release to the Sharks, which was going to be a smart move by the Sharks. They've told him he's staying put. And they obviously grabbed Farrah, who me and you have a difference of opinion on. I'm not a big fan of it. I can understand it from a money point of view, though, because they're getting him for next to nothing. But Yeah, I, um, I just think it's worth the gamble. It's worth the gamble, I think, for the money, but I like the way they play. Once the purchases finished, they're actually going forward and laying a platform. Cook's outstanding getting out of dummy half. I think he really suits. I, think, I, don't, I don't think there's any reason why you couldn't just play both of them. Well, we're going to have to wait and see what happens there. But a more positive finish to the year. Uh, Robbie Rocco, another one who's going there, getting to the back row. I don't know how much they paid for him. Hopefully not too much. I think he's a safe player, but he asked a fair bit of Newcastle. So um, Some of the young kids were all right, though. The Angus Crichton, mm. he was pretty decent. Uh, Goslowski had a couple of games. Musgrave was injured for a big part of the year, but he's a big body. Probably the one uh, that I liked they got from the cheap was Nathan Brown, but he's heading to Parramatta now. Mm. He's uh, a very, he went really well. very aggressive man, Nathan Brown, but... But he started the year as a bit of a goose. He stopped yeah. on Parsi, I think it was, in that game. And yeah, he had a few few silly moments. Uh, back into the year, he was he'd come a long way. Yeah, he was outstanding. Exactly. I think heading forward, they're going to be maybe on the edge of the eight again, maybe in the bottom. Um, mm. They kind of strike me like Parramatta. I don't quite know if they can get in, but they're going to be good nuisance value. That's for sure. Yeah, I but agree. I think they've overly invested in a few positions, like you said. There's a few guys on big coin which kind of restrict them from building the team uh, or having a solid bench. They're, they're a bit light on there. So that's them for this year. The Dragons, they finished 11th, 14th in attack, 10th in defence, 10 wins, 14 losses, 29 players used. The previous year, they snuck into 8th. Overs, unders for wins was 9.5. I had them under. They got in by half a game. So they're on 10. That's, I think, our first loss on overs and unders. So you'd have a fair bit of money by now. I had them finishing 12th, so I was one off. Do What do we have for overs, unders? I've got minors correct on the rabbits. Nah, the Dragons, you mean? Oh, Dragons, sorry. Yeah, they're meaning 10, so you were right. Yep. Nine and a half, so you got that one. Uh, but what did you have them finishing? I had them finishing 11th. Oh, I had them finishing 10th. There you go. So they finished uh, basically spot on. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them because I already gave a good rant before, but same old. They can't score points. The, the whole way they play their football through the spine is completely wrong. They've got a running nine, two five-eights and a fullback who can't pass. They play pre-line, 10, 15 metres away, throw the block passes and wonder why they can't break any tackles. Uh, just ridiculous. And they keep investing in back rows when clearly they need a prop. They're like what the Sharks were a couple of years ago when the Sharks just kept buying a squealing back rows. Mm. And you yeah, just used to sit there every year and go, OK, you're going to buy a prop or something else that you actually need, a half or a back. And look what happened when they fixed up their recruitment. Um, but, you know, I just don't know. And then going forward, they obviously struggled in recruitment. Is McGregor going to see out... Most of next year, there's a lot of questions there, but they need a number nine. They've left themselves short in that. They've got McInnes, and I don't think he's the answer. I don't know if they're going to finally change their style of play. If he hasn't seen the light now from what Demetrio has done the last few years to let him try and tinker with the attack, I think they're in big trouble. And the halfback situation is basically the only option there is McCrone, who you know what he is, or Hutchinson. And they should have given him more time knowing that Benji was going. So I think the coach should have been sacked, and... They're going to get more of the same next year. He's oh. stuck in his way. He's, I don't see how the Dragons improve. I, I was shocked they made the finals last year. We expected them to regress slightly this year, which is what happened. They haven't. Who's their big name signing? They don't have one. They've lost Marshall. They've pushed Marshall out. They're going to play Hutchison. I'm not sold on him. He struggles in 
New South Wales Cup games for mine. Like he hasn't been really consistent in there. He obviously played a couple of good yeah, games. Finished in the, last the finals, two weeks, very but, good. But yeah, his team is very good. Yeah, I I don't know. I they were ordinary. They, as you said, they play block block, same crap every week. Mm. And yeah, Sims. they keep buying players in the wrong positions, and they're not improving their roster holistically. Like they're just trying to improve. They think if they've got good defensive forwards that they're you know, they're, and they're going to probably just keep finishing where they do, sort of yeah, keep just outside out. the eight. Um, they got Nano McDonald going down there, but you know, you don't really need to be buying a winger or a centre. Um, the nine and seven probably will be Hutchinson and McKinnis. So that's the big question. Sims they took when Newcastle, so we're not paying them that much. They paid in the amount. So. I don't understand. You buy McKinnis, he's he's less of an attacking player than what Rain is. Well, I think the difference was they wanted a creative passing kind of player. I think he's more of a pass than Rain was, but. I, yeah, but I think there's more points in rain. I, I so do I, but I think if he lets Demetria make some of the changes and play the way they do in cup, you see the best of rain. So how are you... Yeah, well, rain's gone. He asks rain to do something he, he doesn't do, to create and ball play. He's not that kind of player. He wants to work off a quick play of the ball and get out and try and create some yeah, habits. But, stupid. Um, overall, I think I, I, I think 10 and 14 is not a true reflection, to be honest. No, they were worse than that. I think they won a few. They should. They won two games during Origin over top four teams when they had all their players out. Yeah, but the big... Origin Origin smothered over where they finished on the ladder. That's for sure. Yeah, the only real big positive is their twenties. But the question is, are they going to stuff up again? They lost Bird the other year, which was a ridiculous move. Yeah, and now they've got Leilua, who might be going to the Bulldogs. Matt Dufty, Patrick Herbert, the centre. I'm a big fan of, and the other one was nominated for the Player of the Year. Was the six Jai Field, who's a great ball runner. Well, you're spot on about Bird. That in the six years I've been working in, he was a guarantee development and junior reps at Penrith, and I've seen every SG ball and Harold Matthews side from mm-hmm. St George and Illawarra. He's the best player I've seen. Home run. Well, we both said that two and years ago. He played so, fullback, six, centre, a lot like... If you're doing all that in the 20s and you're dominating in any position, you're, you're a grade player. He was mm-hmm. always had grade written all over him. So, um, Leilua, apparently, that's 50-50 at the moment because he might be changing managers. So, nothing's been done, but the Bulldogs are sniffing around. So, yeah. um, I think Dufty and Field and Herbert, I don't know if they've got Herbert signed up, but they need to. And if they don't sign any front rowers and Wakeman can't get a game next year, at least a couple of games, or even run off the bench, they're kidding themselves. Yeah. Um, so, moving forward, recruitment's a big thing for them. I think a new coach might be needed, and they definitely need to get a prop. So, wait and see what happens there. But the Warriors, tenth place, seventh in attack, fourteenth defence, fourteen wins, ten losses, thirty-four years. They used a fair few this year. Thirteenth uh, the year before. Overs, unders, thirteen and a half. Obviously, coming into the season with that spine, I think we both went over. I had them winning fourteen. Yeah, well, I had them over as well. We were wrong. How many did they win? Ten. Mm. So they still almost eked it out. On your actual ladder, what did you have? Might have finishing fifth. I had him finishing seventh. So we both had him in the eight. Sheck, Luke, Johnson, that packs, the backs, the juniors they've got. Everything was there in place, and they just absolutely bit the dust. I think they still struggle to find the balance between playing a little bit of football and playing way too structured. I think McFadden overcomplicates things a little bit much like Matt Elliott did when he got there I think the only coach that's ever fully understood the way they need to play was Ivan Cleary um, we have said previously though I think getting Kearney in there is a smart move going forward I really do mm-hmm. think that might be the move but who knows there was a lot of guys Luke let him down losing Sheck hurt it was a terrible all around year and typical they had a chance to make the 8 they had a couple of games to get the job done after that origin period where everyone was depleted and they fell on their own sword again they just weren't good enough to do it 
No, well, they lost. Obviously, Luke was ordinary. Johnson had a pretty ordinary year. They couldn't really nail down someone at 5'8". And Shaq did his ACL. So I thought Ben Mudalino was pretty ordinary this year. Uh, They're outside backs for the most part. Manu Vadevoy, bit of a shadow of himself. So uh, I think Qatar was great. Had a couple of their younger outside backs. Kusitua was good. He was good. Uh, Mal Molo was good at times. Yeah. but, look, Bodan Thompson was good, I thought. Uh, yeah. Mannering was good. Probably the majority of their middles were fairly solid. But, you know, when you're laying a platform for a fat Isaac Luke and basically no one that can really do anything, Johnson just run across field and try and work some magic. They've got to, they need to fix their attack up. They need to play straight and direct. Like the game, they played the Gold Coast when uh, Jared Hayne came back. They played... Fast, straight, direct, and they were unstoppable that day. There was no way the Titans were ever going to beat them. They just yeah. rolled through the middle. Uh, and this is a side in the Titans that, you know, their forward pack stood up to a lot of teams. You know, we ended Cronulla's streak, and you look what Cronulla's forward pack did on the weekend. Mm. The Warriors have got it there. They just play the wrong style. They're soft, and their culture at the club is pretty weak and piss poor, to be honest. They, they need to fix it. 100%. And uh, I think the bigger highlight again, and it happens every year, but the problem is they ended up usually shipping out is the kids that came in during the hard times I thought played well Bunty Afala Sipley I was happy to see Arthur Hingano I thought his first game when he played half a game he was better than Johnson he just took control so there's depth there for Kearney to work with I hope he brings in that tough culture and that decent culture he's obviously got with the Kiwis Um, I think that was a change that needed to happen but this season again was another dumpster fire and another one of disappointment even after all those injuries and changes and a struggle that origin period basically serves them up on a silver platter, a guaranteed top eight spot, which they should take every year, but they just don't. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll give a wrap probably to Carter and Thompson. I think those two in particular were outstanding. But Fusitura, I couldn't believe it took him half a year to get back in. He played really well yeah. as a winger and as a fullback when he had his chances. So um, there's going to be some changes there, I think, in the next couple of years. I'm not saying Mannering is done, but Mannering and Hoffman in particular are starting to slow down leg-wise. Uh, I think they need to get some fresh blood in those positions to kind of revamp. Hopefully, Foran toughens them up and straightens them up. Well, does he get registered they though? They reckon he won't get. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Won't get out of the line, but disappointing year for the Warriors fans and everybody is usually put them in the eight. But uh, fingers crossed next year if they do get fine that Kearney can turn things around because they should be top eight, if not top four, mm-hmm. consistently. Tigers ninth place, eleventh wins, thirteen losses, tenth in attack. Awful defence again, 15th. They used 30 players last year. Before that, they were 15th. Overs, unders was 8.5. I had them under. I had them under, yeah. So they got over again I had them finishing there. 14th. I had them 15th. So uh, I suppose Tedesco, Moses had very, very good years. Took a step forward for them. Soasso, Sue, Nofaluma, Alawai proved to be a valuable pickup. Uh, probably the biggest credit I'll give to this side, and in particular... Jason Taylor, it was another tough year again. There's just so much crap going on with the club. People off the field, the Robbie Farrow saga, and then he has Mark O'Neill get appointed coming over the top, and you're hearing that he's going to get moved on. So for all that he's had to deal with, and I'm probably not the biggest fan of Jason Taylor as a coach, I thought it was a pretty good season. Overachieved, definitely. Yeah, Massively. Overachieved, but the glaring, glaring hole for the Tigers, they can't defend. That You saw that yeah. in the last game against Canberra. They were playing for a top eight spot at Leichhardt, sunny day, Every chance in the world, no no real injuries. They were fresh, ready to go, and they concede 50 points. It's just pressure and immaturity for me that every time the game rolls around like that where we talk about it during the week, if it gets any press, you should almost put your house on them getting smashed. 
And then when it's a game like that Cowboys one, where you put the pen to them completely and they turn up relaxed them off, yeah. and don't feel anything, it's not like they get their backs up and take offence to it, but it's almost like when there's no pressure and they're not talked about or written about, they play out of their skin. But mm. any time an expectation gets placed on these young guys that we expect to deliver, they just fall apart. Yeah. Um, well, the big, big thing moving forward, they've got to sign those young players up. I don't know whether I'd sign all of them. Yeah. They're, they're whinging about, worried about whether they're going to have enough money to pay all three. Well, the talk is they had a meeting. The form doesn't there was a meeting justify the, the with, money they're demanding, I think. There was a meeting with Pascoe, apparently, he took the, the, the main four. They're all off contract. Woods, Tedesco, Brooks, Moses. Basically, from that, what's being said or what I'm hearing is that they're basically definitely not all going to be staying. Mm. Um, the main one's obviously Tedesco. You have to keep Tedesco. Yeah. Out of Moses and Brooks, I think Moses obviously had the better year than Brooks, but people picking him in the team there and all these bits and pieces, I don't know how he could be so blind. to He just he lets more points in than what he's worth. I'd honestly rather have a solid defensive 5-8 than have what he brings. We, sort of, we spoke about this at the start of the year, and I know you and Gossip were sort of leaning towards Brooks, and I sort of went Moses, but that's only because of like what he showed. He can deliver with the ball. I think he can fix his defence. I don't know whether he can fix the way that Luke Brooks attacks. Like, I don't know. I think I'd, I'd much rather back myself as a coach to fix Luke Brooks's, uh, sorry, Moses' defence than you know to get Brooks up to anywhere near what Moses is producing with the ball. So, but it's yeah, it's hard. Yeah, well, they've got their work cut out from as far as who they're going to keep. A lot of those guys around though, Simona, uh, not for them to play so far above his weight. Tackle breaks. Sue Alawai was a bargain buy. Dislocated his hip. Alawai's probably. He's one of my favourite players. I, I love watching him play. He's hard, runs good lines. He's, you know, tough. Tell you who really enjoyed it. Also had a very good year to me with Kevin Aguama. I didn't know mm-hmm. how he'd handle the move to the centres, but um, defensively in particular, that's where I thought he might struggle. I thought he had a pretty good year, but looking at them, it's just hopefully all that stuff's finally done with. Robbie Farrah's gone. Mark O'Neill's obviously got himself into some mischief. If the club's not given a clean slate and just backing Taylor now, even though they've basically got no players coming in next year at the moment besides Matt McKilrick, mm. um, not a lot's changing roster-wise, but all the rot and trouble is basically gone. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But the best thing for them, I suppose, is probably their juniors they've got coming through. Keep your eyes on Isan Masters, a gun-back rower. Very they've good got, for the 20s. Yeah, Veru Mapasone, a big number six, and Taniela Paseca, who got their player of the year and plays player in the 20s. He's a 120-kilo front row who's only 19 years old. So, as usual, they've got a couple of good juniors and Jacob Little at nine. But moving on from the Tigers, uh, the Titans. We get into the top eight now where they finished. Like I said, it's not how it is. It's where they were eliminated. So they were the first team taken out, and they finished eighth as well. Uh, I had them getting the spoon, which obviously now was completely incorrect, as did most people. Who? Did, where did you have them? Uh, I had them finishing 15th. 15th. <laughs> well, they did finish 8th. They had 11 wins, a draw, 12 losses. They were 8th in attack, 9th in defence. They used 29 players the previous year. They finished down in 14th. And the overs, unders for them, 6.5. That was easy. I had overs for that. Yeah, we both had overs. So uh, looking at their season, Caesar and Roberts gone, LG levelled. Uh, Taylor, an unknown quantity outside of the under-20s because he broke his thumb in his debut game. The guys they brought in, McQueen and obviously Taylor, you weren't too sure what you were going to get out of them. Everything looked odds-on against them uh, to go wrong, but they were outstanding, to be honest, considering the circumstances. Neil Henry did a fantastic job. I think the back row, along with Taylor and Ryan James, were the big thing for me. Taylor and McQueen were super consistent. Bird had his best year in a long, long time. 
and uh, Ryan James finally went to that next level we were talking about. He's on part of our rep player next year, no doubt about it. Yeah, well, he, he is. He um, That was his best year by far. And the, the question was always over two things. Firstly, his consistency, and secondly, his on-field behaviour, I guess. Yeah, he does mind giving away so, a penalty. No, both those things improved this year. So, yeah, he's got to be in the frame for a rep jersey next year, you'd think. Yeah, and then I think the other big thing, they got good out of Pooley and Parsi probably for half the year. Back end, I think they were so good. And uh, the fact they didn't fill their top 25 but waited for an opportune moment to pick up players like Pete's on the cheat. They got Hain back for the run-in. I know they didn't work out so well maybe for the end of this year, but having an NRL preseason, he should be very good next year. And uh, obviously Hurrell. But the big thing moving forward, I guess, is the spine they now possess. You get LG back, who's like a brand-new signing. I thought Roberts was good, so you've got a depth spot there for a half spot. Um, but Taylor, LG, Pete's and Hayne, that's a pretty handy spine next year to go along with Ryan James, a pretty sturdy back row. I don't know who's going to play prop with him. Uh, I think they're probably lacking that area. I don't blame him for getting rid of Douglas. Yeah. Because I'm not a big fan. Uh, well, Shillington's going to be next after Douglas. They've got, they got a little bit of dead wood there they've got to try and clear out. But Well, I think the few that are left after that for me, there's still Zilman and a couple of guys that are contracted for next year that definitely will have to go. Hmm. Um, the other question i got more next year is the back line. Because Mead left, obviously. Nene McDonald left. And Hoffman just got released as well. So you're looking at that. The only blokes really left are Zilman and Don and uh, Jared Haynes. So I know they got a couple of young guys last year. Brian Kelly's their own player. Johnny Olive, who got injured. So those guys definitely have to factor in now because they don't really have anyone else there. And uh, young Greg Lassier, uh, I think it's Lassier. I can't pronounce it correctly, but he played very well in the nines. He's quite destructive. So I think you're going to have a pretty young back line next year, I think. Yeah, that's fine. They've got uh, Brian Kelly there. They've got a few there that can slot in and uh, potentially do a job. So I think we're in a good, pretty good position, yeah. Yeah. The one spot for me you're probably looking at, like I said, another front row. Someone has to be there to help James out. If yeah. Douglas is gone and Shillington, he's not the answer long term, they need to get another front row. So um, if they do clear enough money out there to pick somebody up to partner him along with Parsi and Pull on the bench, I don't think that's a bad rotation to have. Yeah. And then moving forward for them. We'll see what happens. But an outstanding year, full credit to Neil Henry, Ash Taylor, all these guys. Pretty good season overall for the Titans. And seventh place was the Bulldogs. They finished ninth in attack, sixth in the defence, 14 wins, 10 losses, used 30 players uh, over unders. There were 12 and a half. I went under. Uh, they obviously got above that. I think he went under as well. For who was it? Sorry? Bulldogs. Yeah, I went under, definitely. So, I had them finishing 11th. Yep. Uh, the year before, they finished 5th. I had them finishing 10th. They got 7th. It was the same old, basically. Nothing changed. Uh, they're very up and down in their form. A forward-dominant side, and all you can say, much similar to the coaching side of things like we did for Paul McGregor. They don't use their spine. They didn't change a thing. He hasn't adjusted at all with the times. All he cares about is supposedly eating metres, which they do nothing with because they have no attack on the back of it, and completion. So apparently every game over 80% they win, but from my memory, 84% in the semifinals didn't get them over the Penrith Panthers, regardless of a few injuries they got during the game. So they need a huge revamp, basically. Yeah, it seems like we're saying the same thing every year. So, uh, yeah, they need to throw out the structures that they're working with, produce a style that's going to be effective with the players they've got, simply. Yeah, I think, uh, obviously, at nine, they need to actually let Leisha either play or they need to make a bit of a reshuffle there. I think he's kryptonite to number nine. Innes played a pretty subdued style when he was there, and we saw what happened as soon as he got freed up to head across to um, the Sharkies. Double 
try assist years and kicking and forcing repeat sets, things that he wasn't allowed to do with the dogs. Leash are very, very creative coming across from the Sharks has basically been a shadow of the bloke I watched come through the juniors. So yeah, exactly. I think he needs a change of scenery. But if I'm doing anything next year, honestly, I'm probably moving Josh Reynolds to nine. I'm moving him by to six. And I, I don't really know what you do about seven because they obviously didn't really get anyone on the market. But I think they need a genuine number seven who's actually going to play a controlling role and be able to get the footy Hodkinson suited him perfectly because he kicked him around the ground. Yeah. He tackled well. Uh, as boring, he, as he, much as he didn't so much deliver with the football, he was a genuine seven. At the moment, they've got two guys that are basically sixes and they get no football anyway. Yeah, you need him to steer, you need someone to steer the ship around. But yeah, They he, don't have it. He's got his forward steering him around because Cassiano is basically a halfback or James Graham. So they need to completely change things. They picked up Josh Cleland, the young bloke who won the comp with the Ipswich Jets who had a pretty good year for Newtown. I think defensively he'd struggle in the NRL because I watched him get bullied in the New South Wales Cup. He's good with the football, so I don't know if that's the answer. But um, moving forward, they signed kind of a lot of fringe depth. There's not really any big names coming in. And to be honest, they don't really utilise their side as I think they should. They should be a bash and barge team working off second phase play and chancing their arms a little bit. And then when they get those quick play balls, like we said, moving into those halves so that their first options run. But Similar to how Cronulla play. So they should be playing. Basically. Up-tempo, destroy the ruck, be very, very physical and play off the back of quick play the balls. Yeah. But their halves are hindered and they don't use their spine. So uh, I think that's the big thing next year. Their spine needs to be involved in the game plan and they obviously need their forwards to stop playing half. But that's on Des Hasler. That's all up to him. Uh, I don't know if he'll change. He's a pretty stubborn bastard. So see what happens there with him. But Doggies, seventh place, quite an inconsistent year. They did make the finals, but not the result the fans would have been looking for. Sixth place, the Penny Panthers, fifth in attack, eighth in defence, 14 wins, 10 losses. They used 28 over under 11.5. I went under on that one. I'm pretty sure you were under, I went under, yeah. So wrong there. Um, I had them finishing 13th, and that was a reflection of probably the start of the year. They had a lot of close games, but Jamie Seward, Peter Wallace in the half, Seguiara at nine, who wasn't quite playing after a few weeks. Um, you know, they had some blokes come back from injury, a couple of changes. I just didn't have too much faith they were able to flip things around, plus sacking Ivan Cleary. But it seemed the change came after those first six or seven games where they had those ridiculously close results when they basically did what we wanted them to do. They brought Cleary into the fold after they got sick of Saab. They reshuffled the halves when they got Martin in there. Moylan became more dominant in the front line, trying to help out for the lack of creativity. And Peter Wallace moving to nine proved a genius stroke. Yeah, it did. Yeah, absolutely. They... Come up trunks with the way they reshuffled, but um, yeah, I think they're in a good position. Again, I think they've moved some players on that they needed to move on. Their, their roster is in better shape now than what it was at the start of the year. So, for those teams that are trying to make a bit of a run up the table, I guess that's the best thing you can do. Mm. Uh, their form on field was pretty good. They didn't get hit with as many injuries, obviously, as they did during the last two years of Ivan Cleary's tenure. But uh, I think they're they're a team to look out for moving forward. Yeah, and he kind of put his own flavour on it. He didn't really want uh, so many like smaller, more creative players like a Brown and a Taylor, etc. A few of those guys got pushed out. He wanted a tougher side, so Fisher-Harris kind of got moved in. Latu went with a bigger, more kind of uh, impactful yep. side. And Sitaleki, Akawala, Matungi, a lot more direct and physical. But the biggest highlight was obviously getting Cleary probably into the side, along with those younger guys, like I mentioned. Fisher-Harris took a big step forward. Wanga, Zelezniak, Latu, Yo, Tamari, Martin. There were so many guys that came in. And then you look forward uh, to what we were saying. They were, they were led very well by Merrin. I thought he started the year quiet, but the back half of the year, he was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, he was um, good. It took a little time to work in cohesively, but yeah, 
Uh, and his form was probably a little bit down at the start of the year. Mm. And then smart mid-year move to grab Chris Gresmore to add another young forward. Uh, and then you think for next year, Regal Campbell-Gillard didn't finish the year off. He was injured, and then they're going to get back Hickel and Farah. Mm. So they're already loaded in the back line with young talent. And then you get two guys of that standard who have both played for their country. And then you look at the 20s, I think, in particular, two guys that impressed me, uh, Corey Waddell, in a position they're already loaded in, back row, and Tyra Moe, who I still think is a six more than anything else. And then in Cup, there's the front row, who I loved, who was injured most of the year, who I'm still waiting to see, which is Viliami Kakao. Mm. And then James Tamao's heading that way as well. He'll so. play some first grade next year, Kakao, I'd imagine. Um, Tamo. I don't I've got agree with questions that. over that buy, but we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, that's probably the only one I'm looking at forward because I'm with you. I, I think it was a real positive year. If they can clean up errors, they'll get the fourth most and the third most missed tackles. Just those small little lapses for such a young side, they could be a real premiership contender next year. Yeah, um, and if Martin can slot, well, their back goal in, should be top four. Yeah, and if Martin can slot in, stay healthy, and work alongside Cleary, which they are the complete opposites of each other for a six and a seven, which is beautiful. Uh, it could be some really exciting times there at the foot of the mountains. But Tarmow on close to $700,000, I think they could have almost got two players that would have helped or made them push forward for what they paid him. But we'll have to wait and see. But that's a pretty significant investment. I didn't agree with how much they paid for Merrin, but I think he justified it at the back end of the year. Mm-hmm. If Merrin plays at that going forward, he's definitely worth six. But Tarmow with neck injuries and heading closer to 30, I, I don't know if I agree with that one. So see what happens there for the Penrith Panthers. But... Decent season for the Mountain Men. Fifth place was the Broncos after them. Uh, they were sixth in attack. Fifth in uh, defence. 15 wins, 9 losses. Used 26. The year before that, they obviously finished second. Over and under, they were supposed to win 16.5. We both went unders on that, I'm certain. For who was it? Actually, no, you went over. You went 17 wins for the Broncos. I had them going under. You had them going over, so you just missed out there. Um... Yeah, what are we? we both had them finishing first, I'm pretty sure, for the season. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, obviously, they didn't get quite there. They started red hot, as you'd expect. Got on a bit of a streak, and then they just fell away. There was some internal stuff going on. Uh, obviously, information being fed by some of the senior players to Josh McGuire, thinking that he was giving information about contracts, and then he was confronted by Corey Parker. Apparently, Ben Hunt almost punched on with him as well, and Gillette. So, well, yeah. It looked like something definitely came out of that, didn't it? We, yeah. we sort of skimmed over it at the time, but looking back now, you, you look at where their season sort of started to dip on field and it seemed to sort of correlate with that happening off the field. And that also came around the same time Parker was staying, then Parker was going. Mm. Um, there was a few little hiccups. Then the Origin slump, as always, they had six or seven guys go to Origin. In particular, Corey Oates, who started the year on fire, he came back and just became an error machine, really. Yeah. He didn't finish the year quite the same. Matt Gillette was much the same. He was an absolute machine. He came back quite flat, um, finished the year kind of busted. So things really did fall apart. Josh McGuire, another one, who was on fire for the first half of the year, pretty flat the second half of the year. But uh, I, I thought that was the big thing. Losing McCulloch for parts of the season, that really hurt. He's very undervalued. And the lack of cohesion and work from the forwards and just that intent they had the year before as a number one defence... It really hurt the hearts. Milford and Hunt didn't have the opportunities they were afforded early on this season, so they obviously petered out there in that uh, tough second week game in extra time against the Cowboys. Yeah, they ran out of gas, didn't they? Brisbane, they started off sensationally, and uh, that, yeah, form the players that were playing really well last year probably didn't produce as good of uh, performances uh, this year, and their defence, their defence slipped away a little bit, um, and that's the difference between. 
been top four and obviously fifth, and that's what cost them in the end, not having that double chance and having to travel. and mm. that, That's what cost them. Well, it's going to be interesting to see more moving forward. Again, they haven't really made uh, any signings. It's basically David Mead who's coming across. But as far as out, Jack Reed obviously moves on. They'll probably have Opacek and Roberts still there to, to fill that gap. Jared Wallace moves on, so I don't know if Offerhand Gowie comes back into the fray now. He got dropped randomly kind of after... Eight to ten games, and Corey Parker moving on surely means Jai Arrow probably moves into that spot. So they're going to be young in a few spots next year, the Broncos. I don't know if they're going to have the depth, maybe, that I, uh, I saw this year. And a few of those guys he put in during the year over off of Hengawi and the like, uh, your Pangai Juniors, your Arrows, he didn't really use them in that semi final when everyone was absolutely gassed, and I was really confused. So, Well, I think you'll have Gillette, Thiday, and Alex Glenn will fill the back row. Yeah. And you'll have, I'm just not, not sure. Who will play where? I think Thido's got to stay on an edge. I'd like to see Gillette move in, play lock. I think he's potentially um, I, I think he in runs, the same mould. I think he runs a real nice line. I think maybe all, all those blokes can play tighter on edge. I think that's the main thing. Yeah. Um, but I think at some point, if you're looking at your bench, he's got to show more trust definitely next year. And if Wallace is out, off of Hengau, he's probably your most likely candidate, I think, to come back in. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I disagree with him getting dropped, but I'm obviously not up there. I... I like him. Yeah, so I don't know what happened there, but they're going to be a bit younger and there's going to be a few spots to fill there next year. But they're still a very small and mobile pack, so that's the big question. That's the part that seemed to let them down in the back half of the year in particular as well as the off-field stuff. So yeah, see what happens there with the Brisbane Broncos. But fourth place was the Cowboys, eliminated as such. Second in attack, third in defence, 15 wins, nine losses. They used 25 players. Third the year before and obviously premiers. Over-under was 14.5. I went overs and it was just over. Yeah, Cowboys, I went over. And you were on the money. Yeah, I had them, I had them finishing second. Yeah, I had them finishing second as well. Uh, I think the big thing for them was just all those extras that come along with winning a title, extra pressure, teams getting up for them. They had the same side, but they never seemed to you know, take that real step forward. Much like Brisbane, they start the year red hot, but you get that effect after winning a comp where they had six or seven blokes drafted in the origin. They flattened out during that period. They weren't as good and... Then on the run home there, they were quite patchy. They won their last two games to skim into the finals, but the second half of the year in particular, they are on fire in all their key positions, but Greenville just completely disappeared, so they lost that dynamic out of dummy half, and Morgan and Lachlan Coote, second half of the year. Morgan was steady without being outstanding, but Lachlan Coote got the yips big time compared to how he started the year. So Thurston was kind of left on an island on his own to try and create a lot of things, and then on that run into the finals to lose Winnerstein, Lynette, Lowe, and then have Scott playing busted. It was basically all signs pointing to them getting put down after that tough 90-minute effort, which they just got annihilated by the Sharks. Yeah. I, uh, I, you look at their 9, 6, 7, and 1, and none of them played as good as they did last year. No. And, and then you look at the front row, I thought James Tamio had a pretty ordinary season. Matt Scott was carrying an injury. Jason Tamalolo was best player in the game. He's probably a big reason why they did scrape into the top four. Uh, but as you said, and then you add in that uh, the teams are hunting for you, and in the finals, obviously, they they just scraped into the top four and then obviously had that hard slog out against Melbourne in week one yeah, and then the extra players. time uh, extra time win over the Broncos, which took a lot of gas out of them, and then they, they just got blown away by the Sharks, but... It was a disappointing end to the year, but I think a lot of what happened at the end 
has got a lot to do with what happened during the regular season. They just ran out of gas. Yeah, well, Auckland Nines, World Club Series, uh, origin involvement went from like four players to seven at one point. Yeah. Um, so obviously that hurt. Probably the best thing for them looking forward is that Hess, Ponga, Bull, and these guys at field in did a great job. Mm. So they've still got a very, very good squad. Hopefully they're hungry again next year. They lose Cost Jason, who's pretty safe for them off the bench, but I don't think that's a major loss. And the other one's obviously Tamiya, but after seeing Cole and Hess, I'm not really worried about that. You can definitely reshuffle there. I think Hannett's still off contract. But other than that, that squad to me, yeah, they've done a lot of re-signing this year. It looks like it's primed for another run next year. After that, because of Tamalolo being off contract, I think obviously you're going to see some change next year that's going to hurt them, mm-hmm. being a bit of a contender. But I think they're kind of similar to Melbourne. They've locked up a lot of guys that have turned into rep players or played in that grand final team, but next year might be another chance to cash in before uh, some names come off and some harder decisions have to be made for yeah, the Cowboys. I agree. Uh, but yeah, not a bad season. They just never seem to really get out of second gear on the run home. Sharkies, oh, sorry, I've got them third, but I'm doing this the wrong way. It's Canberra. They did finish second, but they were eliminated, obviously, in third place, they were the number one attacking side by a mile. Seventh in defence, 17 wins, one draw, six losses, used 26 players. Uh, they were 10th the year previous. Over as unders for this one, 11.5 wins I had over. Yeah, I had over as well. So we'll both ride on that, and I had them finishing sixth. So I had them finishing ninth, but I had them winning 12 games. So yeah. how many did they win? Uh, they won seven, eight. There you go. And a draw. So and five more than what I predicted them to win. I had them right around the eight. So yeah. theoretically, if you take in that Eels got dropped out, I, I had them finishing eighth. Yeah. Well, all I can say is wow, because they're up and down like a fiddler's elbow with inconsistency. They'd win a couple. It started off well with like the Penrith winning and the Roosters win, and then they dropped a game against you guys that they just absolutely butchered. Um, but then a couple of little things happened just in the squad mentality. Topine got more involved. <coughs> he got to pick up. Junior Paulo, Luke Bateman forced his way in, and then he flicked Sisawanga, Frank Pornuasala, just a couple of those guys that helped build to this point. Um, they put some younger blood in around, and then obviously Josh Hodgson just exploding and taking control. After early on, we saw a struggle between the two halves and him as to who was running the show. When Caesar and Austin were hurt, I think Hodgson clearly asserted the fact that he's probably the number one distributor or number one decision maker for their side. And moving forward, probably the scary thing for me is that. I thought both the halves had a quiet year. So if I was they, just about to say the same they, thing. If they can find a way to get more involved with this great forward pack and back line, in particular Leilua and Rapana, who broke more tackles and just caused more havoc than anyone, this is a genuine premiership contender for next year's competition. If they were the number one attack and you had Austin, who was injured and struggled, I thought Caesar was solid without being great. Mm-hmm. Jack White made the most errors in the competition. Uh, and then you had Hodgson, who... I thought started very strong. Middle of the season wasn't ordinary, but he didn't. He wasn't great. And then at the end, he obviously finished pretty strong as well. Yeah, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Their forward pack uh, has improved. And again, you look at their roster, they improved their roster throughout the season. They're in a better spot now than what they were at the, um, at the start of the year. So a lot of these teams that you expect to make a move and progress next year have, have all done good things during the season. So recruitment now, it's a 24 365 day a year thing isn't it you know like it used to just be that it was a three month period where you just add players and lose players and that was it but now it's just a constant process so Canberra for me I think the one glaring area is that they were seventh in defence if they can get themselves up into the top four defensively they can win a competition 
my biggest thing next year, probably around all the youth as well, I don't really have a lot of trust in having such a young and dynamic side is are they going to be as keen and work as hard to come back and finish where they did? Yeah. I hope they're hungry because they went all the way to a prelim final. I'm sure they will be. But they wouldn't be the first team we've seen that has had a magnificent year fall down a year later, just off that fairy Usually tale they do fall a little bit and then the, it's a the year after they kick up. But I don't think they have time because they invested a lot of money because so many guys were successful upgrading contracts. So Hodgson got upgraded within a deal. Yeah. So did Austin. So did Whitehead. So did... Uh, no, DePine moves on to actual real money next year on the cap. Um, knowing a few people there, I know there's a little bit of pressure at the moment, maybe on one or two players and a little bit of movement. And they lost their 20s player of the year. They've got another bloke, Nick Cottridge, who's a gun, but... There's not going to be a lot of adding or gains between them right now. They're trying to figure out their depth because they'll probably lose a few from uh, that Mountie side that had such a good year. So once again, with such a chopped up side and Leilua, Rapana, all these guys getting upgrades, Canberra need to make hay when the sun shines. This salary cap era is such a ruthless time and right now they're pretty well primed. But I think that's the big thing. If the halves can get more involved with Hodgson, the forward pack and that back line, they tick all the boxes, but they just need a little bit more out of their halves and for those two to stay healthy. Agree. Yeah. So great year for any Canberra fan out there. Things looking very, very positive. So see how that works out next year. And moving on to obviously second place, the runners up in there. They were first during the regular season, the Melbourne Storm, the minor premiers, but lost the grand final. Eventual runners up, fourth in attack, first in defence, 19 wins, five losses, used 27 players. The year before, they were fourth. Obviously made it to a prelim and got eliminated. Overs, unders, 12 and a half. Surely we both went over. You've gone 15 and 9. I had them over as well. Uh, I had them finishing fourth, and they, they won the minor. Yeah, I I had them finishing. Where did I have them? Yeah, them third. I had them third, yeah, with 15 wins and over. So Yeah. Uh, second grand final in five years, and I think the big thing for me out of this season for the Melbourne Storm reviewing things was the emergence of the forward pack and the bench. Uh, Billy Slater... Fell out. We obviously had a great idea of what Munster was the year before. He did more than an apt job, but for the start of the year, I just think our forward pack and the bench absolutely carried us, and there was improvement in so many players from Glasby. I thought Finucane took another step up. Kenny Bromwich was outstanding. The emergence of Solomona. All those guys chipped in and joined in with Proctor, Harris, Bromwich, and as was said earlier on, basically by Cameron Smith, they carried us for the first seven or eight weeks when him and Cooper Cronk weren't playing well. Yeah, agreed. There are, they're a side that just... Craig Bellamy is the best defensive coach in the game. So if you get your defence sorted and they're a top-four defensive side, they've got Cronk, Smith, Slater uh, and Green. Obviously, next year it'll be... Obviously, this year it was Munster. Mm. Green will go out, Munster will go to where Green was and they hopefully will get Slater back. So... I think they're going to be in a better position offensively next year. They were, you know, one one or two executed passes away from winning this year's competition. So, look, they're, they're going to be right up there again next year. This year, I think with the roster they had, they overachieved. I had question marks over their bench coming out of last year's season. I thought their bench this year was pretty good, even though it wasn't that great in the, on grand final day. No. Uh, Nelson, Asafa, Solomona, Kenny Bromwich. Kenny had a great game in the grand final, made some impact. But they're going to, again, be better for that run this year, that experience, that little bit of burn. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be good to have that burn in the gut of a lot of those young, younger players at Melbourne. Yeah. as their first crack at a grand well, final. 11 players didn't play in a GF before and yeah. then mixed in with you know our internationals. And I think the other thing for me, and a lot of people forget, we had an injury crisis earlier in the year in our back line. Yeah. We had uh, Richie Kenner, young time of payer, 
Curtis Scott, the young Australian schoolboy who we got from the Sharks, an 18-year-old, Billy Slater, Munster missed some time. We, we basically lost our whole back line. And then, you know, Ryan Morgan was solid for the contributions they got. Vuni Valu got an opportunity. How good did that work out for us, him coming in? Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the year, Chase Blair, a bloke who I was happy that we picked up last year because um, generally we don't get these younger guys, knowing him from the same age group, he'd just been at the wrong clubs. And sometimes I get really happy when we get a guy like that or when we picked up a Mark Nichols or some of these dudes because you know that Craig Bellamy can put that extra bit into some of these players. And obviously by the end of the year, Chase Blair played some pretty good football, uh, got himself re-signed. Vuni Vale turned out to be an absolute sensation. And Cora Beattie before he left, an absolute wonder. And Chambers missed 12 weeks. That's the only one I forgot. So by the end of the year, we had a brand new backline yeah. to go along with a great forward pack. And um, I really think next year, like I said, it's it's imperative that if Billy Slater can stay healthy and stays away from rep football and Munster can get a bit of a kicking game to go with what we already know is a strong running game, they're going to be a better attacking side and have all the weapons there to hopefully push for another chance at the grand final. But um, Yeah, from your sake, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, they, they were great this year. Yeah. Really good. Number one defensive side. So... Uh, you know, if they can repeat that, just be top four in uh, top four in defence, they're going to be right up there. What, where were they ranked offensively? Fourth. Okay, there so, you go. So if, it just proves if you're top four in O and D, uh, you're basically making a grand final. I think the big proof of what you've been saying was proved in Parramatta. Worst attacking side, even worse than Newcastle, but second defensively only to Melbourne by 30 points, and they had enough wins to make the eight. Defence wins competitions 100%. You need to be able to score some points, but the fact Parramatta 13-11 technically um, with the second best defence and the worst attack. If you want it back a week, right, and you said to Craig Bellamy this time last week, Mate, you're going to have to score 15 points to win the grand final. Would you take that? He'd say yes. Yeah, 100%. He would have signed that 100 times out of 100. So, And that, that comes back to their, to their defence. I put more the... Cronulla were brilliant on the weekend, but it was also the possession that they were able to... And that came through good kicking yeah, from Cronulla. Sets, they earned all that. Yeah. They earned every little bit they got. So it, it, Melbourne weren't far away. No. I think the big positive for me as well, junior development is very hard from down there, but they've made a big... Um, a big impression the last few years or I put a big influence on having to get ready for the departure of some of these key players. They've been signing some junior kangaroos or some of these better junior players that are in spine positions to try and groom them with the players we've got there now. So, yeah. Brandon Smith, the, the 20s hooker of the year from North Queensland, he's coming down. You've seen Brody Croft debut already this year. He's the 18s Queensland halfback. Scott Drinkwater the year before, the New South Wales and Australian... Uh, you know, junior kangaroo. So they got a couple of really good young halves and nine. Curtis Scott was seeked out by every club. Um, so they're trying to prepare for life afterwards and hopefully find some guys that are going to be ready to move in over the next couple of years, just in case, obviously, going on the open market is not as good a situation for them. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of with what you were saying. There's a lot of young guys mixed in with those few older heads that hopefully next year, if Billy in particular stays healthy and Munster can be successful at six, can almost push them straight back into top four. And as a contender, but, uh, finishing things off, the last team, the Cronulla Sharks, third in the regular season, but premiers. After 50 years, they win their first title, actually outstanding season, 17 wins, one draw, six losses, and after a poor start and everyone panicking, we kept saying on the show, you've got to give time for things to sink in. They went on a 15-game winning streak, mm. um, and they finally had all the pieces, but uh, just going through their key statistics here, obviously third in attack, fourth in defence, so top four on both of those. They only use 24 players. They use less than everyone in the comp, which generally correlates in being in a good position. 
Uh, they finished sixth the year before and got hammered, unfortunately. And then overs, unders, 12 and a half. We were both over that. Uh, I had them finishing third. They did finish third. You had Cronulla finishing fourth, so only yeah. one off that one. Just wow, what, what a season. But it's the first time they finally had all those bits. All those years prior, I had them seventh and eighth because they had the forward pack. But, you know, they had Carney, but no one next to him. Not really a good spine, not really good outside backs. But this year they had all the bits and pieces. They had a very mature and tough forward pack that was dynamic because you chuck in guys like Wade Graham who can ball play and offer a kick on the edge. They had a spine finally. Mick Innes, Chad Townsend, Maloney coming in with him and Barber gets back to best form. So they've got a great spine. And then the outside backs went from being very basic to a genuine threat. They had the second most metres on kick returns, especially from their, uh, you know, their strong carries back from Fecky and you get Bird out of dummy half and Valentine Holmes. They just ticked all the boxes. This was their first real genuine chance with a real side and they got the job done. Yeah, they were super. They obviously struggled a little bit at the start of the year, but they played some quality opposition at the start of the year. Mm. Uh, they then went on that massive run, petered out a little bit. They lost momentum. I was really worried about them coming into the finals. So was I. They were the best team in that final four weeks, and whatever the coaching staff did to plan that, they planned the dip and and the the rise back up uh, perfectly, and they got the the result. I, in particular, they their last two games were their best two performances of the season. Yeah, and that's the challenge as a coach and a playing group to be able to produce on that big stage. And last year they, they got murdered by the Cowboys up in North Queensland and went out the back door. So that would have left some scars as well. Yep. Uh, first week of the finals, they were down. They looked down and out against Canberra. Obviously, Hodgson went off. And then I thought Flanagan won them that game. with the He hooked the Townsend, move. moved Bird in, just did some nice things from a coaching perspective, earned them the week off, and they, they bloody needed that because they had a few guys flat and injured. Yeah, that won them And then the they just they came out. Yeah, that did. That game won them the comp. And that's why I'm such a big rapper on what Shane Flanagan did on that occasion. I think his performance as a coach in the grand final was great. Yeah. But the best performance of this season from Flanagan was in that game. 100%. They lost Gallon before kickoff. Someone else got injured early. Graham got knocked out. Townsend was having a Barry Crocker. You've basically rolled the dice there at the end after Canberra lost a few players to find a way to eat that win out so you could have that week off and save yourself. And my God, did they just absolutely explode yeah. when it mattered. And um, I think the other thing for them, even after that flat spot, was other players just coming into their own. I think Holmes went to a completely different level by the end of the year, not just as a finisher, but his yardage work. You got your Fekis, Bird flattened out a bit, but after playing reps and, you know, but that probably just a long season. But he come on, Gallon come back strong, Luke Lewis, all these guys fight at the right time. Everybody was on board at the right time. And um, the main thing, like I said, I, I think finally having a legit spine and a little bit of help in the back line, they've always had the forward pack and then their bench. Chris Heinington, I'm not a big rap on, but I think he had an outstanding season. He, he did. really did have a great year. Bakuya transitioned well and helped that off the bench, and obviously prior for the time he was on there to start with before Tagatizi come back. So not they had all those boxes we wanted to tick. They had impact off the bench. They maintained the go forward. Good halves, good spine, and great contribution from their back line. So very deserving, uh, deserving winners of the premiership. The main thing looking forward is what we said at nine. That's the only real loss. So Cherrington. Uh, an attacking kind of dummy half, not the best defender. Braley, he got the NYC player of the year, so obviously talented. But for me, my first cab off the ranks probably Farmani Brown. I think physically, he's put a lot of size on over the last two years. He can play in the halves, but originally he was a nine. I think he's crafty. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he got first crack at playing nine, but that's the big question. Well, that's for next that's year. the way I'd go. That's the way I'd be starting, at least. Mm. Maybe if you didn't trust him for a full game, I might carry Charrington to start with for 20 minutes of impact. I'd, ca- I'd carry two, definitely. Yeah. 
but Brayley would probably be, carry Brayley. I'd probably carry Chillington. That's just is Brayley still eligible for twenties? I don't think so. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. There's, the scary thing is there's two Brayleys now, both Australian schoolboys, yeah. Blake and Jaden. So they've got two backup nines in the brothers, but um, they've got some options there. And Mick Innes will be working with them. That's the big thing. And I think the only other one, Heinington hasn't re-signed yet, but most likely will. So they should basically have the exact same side. Yeah. Bar the hooker position, and their their side at Newtown didn't do too bad this year, so uh, there'll be a couple of players still left over. But there it is, season reviews done. Your premiers, the Sharkies, number one. Yep, all done. Uh, and our predictions for the year, looking at our top eights, uh, you had Broncos, Cowboys, Storm, Sharks, Eels, Roosters, Warriors, and Bunnies. So the first four you picked all got in. Uh, the other four, obviously, the Eels with the salary cap drama. So really, we got five out of eight, but four out of eight because the Eels didn't get there. So yeah. I'm happy with five out of eight. Roosters had the injuries. Warriors fell over. Bunnies saved it a bit late. Uh, Gossip, he had five. He got the Broncos, the Cowboys, Storm, Dogs and Sharks, but Manly, Roosters, Bunnies, no. MG had five. He had Brisbane, Cowboys, Storm, Sharks and Panthers, but uh, Roosters, South Eagles, no. I had Broncos, Cowboys, Sharks, Storm, and the Raiders, I had, uh, New Zealand, Manly, and Roosters, no. Uh, it was a clean sweep. We all picked the Broncos as premiers, we were wrong. We all picked them as minors, we were wrong. But going through yours, Spoon, you were spot on, Newcastle. Slider, you had the dogs. I kind of put a, a line to that. I thought they slid, but they obviously still made the eight. Yeah. Um, Improver, you had the Eels, which they obviously did, but they kind of got ruined. Um, by what happened. Oh, they were massive improvers. Yeah. When you look at results and... It's just more what that happens next year yeah. now. Dark Horse, the Warriors, that obviously didn't come to fruition. Point scorer, Johnson, no. Radrara tries, no. Thurston, no for the Daly M. And your $100 sure bet was the Broncos' top four. They just missed out. That didn't mm. come down to last round. My side, I had the Spoon as the Titans. I was wrong. Slide of the Dogs, again, I, I think they slid, but they still made the eight. Improver, I had Raiders. That obviously definitely came true. My dark horse was the Sharks. That paid off. They won the comp. Point scorer, I had Croker. That was correct. Holmes was second in try, so I got that wrong. Milford was my Dalium. I got that wrong. My $100 sure bet was the Cowboys' top four. It come down to the last round. But yeah, between Broncos and Cowboys. So. Yeah, but if you would have followed... If I, had, if I wish I would have just bloody backed the Sharks, top four. If you followed me in on top. all these things, and in particular, like Raiders, Sharks, Premiership start of the year, I think you got $13. So if you would have went them as your dark horse... Um, if you went with me on the Raiders top eight bet at the start of the year, you would have won two, 120. Croker top point scorer was 450. If 100, you get a couple of hundred back. Cowboys top four, 100 and something. I missed out on Mounties and Panthers in 20s in cut by one game. That would have been nice. Well, we both had Mounties and Panthers. I had a bet on the Roosters to miss the top eight at 350. That worked out beautiful. And overs and unders, I had 11 of 15. So if you followed me in with 100 on each, what's that, like 90 for each? Well, mine was Manly to miss the eight, and that was $3, I think. Yeah. Well, what would you have got? That's like $90. It's $1.90, basically, for over under. $1.91, I think it is. So if you went on with me, 11 of 15. Last year, I was 12 of 16. You're coming out ahead. Yeah, I've got so, 10 of 15. So. I'll tell you what, everyone out there in podcast land, you've got to start listening to these future bets. I'll tell you what, mm. put some money in the bank this year. Well, there's a few that got on the night spooners. I couldn't believe the odds over there. Titans were almost even money. Cowboys top two, Raiders top eight, and all my overs-unders, you'd have made a fortune. Yeah. You would have lost what? Four. What overs-unders did, did, did I get wrong and you got right? What was the one that broke the, that broke the camel's back? Because oh, you got one more than me. It was just one. I don't even know. Might have been the Raiders. It wasn't the Raiders. No, there was one that we had different. I don't know what. Who have you got crosses next to? Broncos. Yeah, that's the one. I had the Broncos under 16. Okay, I had them over. 16 and a half. You had them over. 
But either way, like I said, if you're going to you put $100 on all 15 of those, because there was no market for the Roosters to start the year with all their issues, yeah. that to reframe that market. If you had 100 in, that's 1500 you've outlaid. You've won 11 times. So you're getting 1100 back, and then you're getting probably 11 times 90 on top of that. Yeah. So what, you're breaking in. What's that? It's close to $900 worth of profit, really. 990 if you went 11 times 90. Yeah, it depends what you've had. So almost, almost an extra G on top, and then some of those futures, but we've done pretty good again. But you're getting you're getting sixty six percent win rate basically. Mm. So if you're betting, yeah, if you're betting a hundred, you're getting back, you know, sixty six percent of it, basically. And you're like, making one hundred and sixty six bucks. Well, last year bet. I was twelve of sixteen. That's seventy five percent. Yeah. This year eleven of fifteen. Drop one off both. It's almost the same. It's about seventy percent. Yeah, you're not doubling your money, but you're you're adding a third to what you're outlaying. Basically, seventy percent is pretty good on the punt. Yeah, that's very good. Um, but overall, but it's usually you can't bet all of them. You you got to bet the ones that no, you no. like. Well, so. the one I went big money on was the Sharks twelve and a half, mm. and that per- worked out perfectly. Raiders top eight. I could have gone overs unders as well. That was the other one I bet on, and the Cowboys top four. Mm. So if you would have went in on the couple that I was really big on, plus Croker as point scorer, you're doing pretty good. Um, but yeah, our futures are pretty good. Top eights as usual. There's always a couple of sides that miss out, but that's us done for the year, buddy. Yep. Um, so there you go. Grand final review. That one's done. We obviously gave you our awards, the fifths. Like I said before, everyone happy to put your opinion up on the page, but don't attack each other. Come on. Let's be a bit subjective here. Got to love each other in this world. Such a, such an angry place. And the season reviews for all your clubs, plus reflecting back on any of the decisions we made before this season started. But in closing, I'd just like to say a big thank you to everyone that helps on the show. Obviously, Mr. Gossip. Uh, for coming on every week and giving us all the dirt and bits and pieces. Any guests, so MG, Kenty, um, and then obviously we've got to thank Kaizen Sports, Brock, who you work with, and Rugby League Coaching Manual yep. for both coming on board this year. And most importantly, WilliamHill.com. If you're going to have a bet on the NRL or any sport, make sure you do it with William Hill. Uh, I don't know what the charity account finished up for this year was. Uh, 2300 Not too bad. A little bit under last year, but pretty good. We've still um, got a little bit of money left in there, so we might have a crack on Caulfield Cup yeah. or Cox Plate or the Melbourne Cup or something. So, But out of all those sponsors, all those guests and all those people, I think the biggest thank you has to go to you, mate, Boxheads. I ventured out into the world this year. I uh, didn't leave things in limbo, but left you with a bit of a heavy burden having to punch things solo so I could uh, ex- I right. experience something new, and you did a fantastic job. I didn't get to really listen because I was pretty much tanked the whole time I was overseas, but all the reviews I read and everybody out there, you obviously gave Boxhead a hell of a rap, and you did a great job to keep things floating while I was gone. And just for all the years so far, and you sitting here and having to listen to me gibber in general, I have to oh, thank good. you. So. It's good. Um, we love doing the show. I put the post up yesterday to everybody out there. We get nothing from it. We do it for free. Um, that's why, like, sometimes if, you know, people are like, where is it? Why is it not on time? Bits and pieces. You've got to understand we've got work, we've got other commitments, but we still put the time and effort in every week to make sure we try and get the show done and um, do the best for everyone out there who just loves rugby but league. But we would love paid sponsors. Oh, cross. If anyone wants to throw some in, the uh, listenership is going through the roof. Uh, every year it's growing, so mm. keep sharing it. Uh, and we don't say that because we want, want to make money out of it, but it would be nice to get something for it. But... Uh, Keep sharing it, keep pumping it out there, and um, if you are interested, flick us a message or flick us an email, and uh, we can talk about it. 100%. But in closing, like I said, all those people, Gossip, MG, Kenty, 
Uh, the sponsors, Kaizen Sports. Big off-season as well. Rugby Big league. Coach, when are we back? Manual. Um, Mystic. Oh, everything. I'm bloody getting lost here. But William Hill in particular, our major sponsor every single year. We've got to thank them. And, Bob, and Wade. Wade's the man we deal with there. Wade's so. outstanding. Boxhead. Myself, I don't need to thank myself. I, I rewarded myself this year. But the biggest thank you goes to you guys out there. We're glad you enjoy the show. We hope you continue to. Make sure you share it. Love your football. Give hope. us a rating on uh, iTunes. That'd be good. Yeah. Stars are good. Dig into all that stuff and enjoy the Four Nations. Um, I suppose we could probably have a quick chinwag about that, but to be honest... I think New Zealand will win it. New Zealand. There's maybe a few little small spots there, but overall... I'd love to see England go well. I'd love to see it be a, a true three-team uh, three competition. Obviously, Scotland are going to struggle, but yeah, I'd love to see a competitive series between the three. Yeah, I'm only going to touch on this quickly because I forgot to do it before we did all these thank yous before we go, but uh, there was a few I didn't agree with. I'm surprised that we're taking, say, like a Sam Thido when we've, he's a bit older and we've got away Graham and a lot of back rows and probably the other one for me, Tedesco, not going. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leigh Lewis supposedly cleared with his hamstring, so if they're just not taking him on the suspect he might get hurt again, well, then why are you taking Matt Scott? He's got a bad neck. Look, that's a piss-poor excuse and... Um, probably the other one, Maloney, I'm stoked he got picked. He's a fantastic player, but at age 30 and with the World Cup coming up, I would have taken Anthony Milford. Mm-hmm. So there's just a few youth moves I thought we could have made, along with the seven that they did put in there on debut. Um, but, yeah, overall, I'm not too sure. I think maybe we might might be able to get over the Kiwis, only because they might be lacking a halves partner for Sean Johnson yeah, and maybe a number nine, because I don't know if they named Isaac Luke. Uh, no, oh, they did name Isaac Luke. But if he's in poor form and Johnson struggled, their forward pack is still enough to give us grief. Mm. I think it's going to be the most even four nations we've seen. Yeah, and fullback's obviously another spot for them with no check, so someone's going to have to fill that role. Mm. Um, so I think we're both a little bit vulnerable, to be honest. Mm. Their forward pack's the big difference for me, though. When I look and England, obviously, mm. under the tutelage of Wayne Bennett, so... Well, that's a big move, but the fact he was panicking to get the Morris brothers and random Aussies makes me a bit worried about them. So. Yeah, the English have got a lot of good players there, um, a lot of players playing over here too, so that's going to strengthen them up. Yeah, always got a good forward pack. Mm. Forward pack's always the thing. The main thing is the halves, the kicking game and the small stuff. That's the yeah, little gonna have, They'll have Hodgson, obviously. Yeah. Um, when are we back? When are we coming back? When are we coming back? Well, I'm not back till February, so I'm I'm off. Well, that means probably the only thing that everyone out here will miss out is the nines. We usually do a nines podcast. Oh, I think I'm back before the nines. Well, if you're back before the nines, we'll probably do a nines podcast, and then we'll release a season preview probably two weeks out, like we usually do. So yeah. everybody gets a bit of a time, uh, obviously, to absorb that. But the other thing, a few people asked us for our Super Bowl predictions. I saw a few. Oh, all right. Well, Who I think, think if you want to talk AFC, uh, I think the Patriots and the Steelers, and obviously. Denver's on that side. I think those three are probably the ones that stand out to me. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. On three. the NFC side of things, I know Seattle started a little bit to start with, but I think their defence is too good. And if Jimmy Graham stays healthy, the way things are looking between him and Wilson now, and the other NFC team would be the Vikings at the moment. Complete and utter surprise, but they've got an outstanding defence. Um, Bradford I'm not a big fan of, but fits in perfectly. He's just game-managing right now, but their defence is, is quite brutal. So Yeah, I think New England, Pittsburgh... Denver. That's, I can't see anyone outside of that making the Super Bowl. No, nah, not on that side. But uh, in particular... Philly at this stage look good, but yeah. I, I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to maintain it. Not I think they'll rookie. probably... Them and Dallas will fight that division out. Uh, Minnesota, as you said, fantastic. Green Bay, they're a sleeping giant if Aaron Rodgers clicks. 
I think Atlanta, was... my boys, Atlanta going very well at the moment. Their defense is pretty horrendous, though. Um, and then obviously you've got LA Rams and Seattle. I think if Seattle get home field, they're going to be very hard to stop. Uh, Carolina have started one and three, so it's going to be difficult for them to get there and get home field. But our division isn't the strongest. I think the NF- NFC is wide open. If I had to pick one team, it'd be yeah, probably Minnesota or Seattle, similar to you. Yeah, well, both those two have outstanding defenses, but I think that Minnesota... Atlanta, I think, have got the best offense in the NFC. So if, if we can continue to put points up, the defense isn't going to really matter too much, is it? So well, you're going to get a real test the next two weeks. So yeah. You're going to find out what position you're in. But AFC, I think probably Steelers and Patriots are your two more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, both looking pretty good. And then, yeah, on the other side, if I had to pick two, I'd probably say the Seahawks and the Vikings. Well, there you go. That's everything. So thank you to all those guests, all the contributors, all the sponsors, William Hill in particular, Boxhead, massive thank you, but to all you guys out there, thank you so, so much. Enjoy your off-season. Uh, make sure to rate us on iTunes. Keep yourself updated. There's going to be plenty of signing news, as we said before, the salary cap. Still waiting to be sorted out, so there should be some movements. Keep your eyes on Gossip and our page, and um, we'll put some bits and pieces up, obviously, during the summer just to keep engaged with everybody out in rugby league land. But sad times. The season is over, so I can't say enjoy your week. And enjoy your rugby league. But enjoy your off season. Enjoy your off season, and look forward to seeing you in 2017. Bring it on! Give us more! Give us more! Where are you going? Where? What's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.